<laughs> With my new amazing combat robot, the world is mine. Everyone will fall before me. And my trade team of people moving all the servos down there. <laughs> yeah, I just made your left leg move. And it only took five seconds. Another five seconds for the right one. Okay, I'm redeploying your right arm to aim at that SWAT vehicle, and your left arm to spray the police with fire. <laughs> Get that fire. <laughs> Give me a little bit. Now, now I squeeze the trigger to the fire, and you can manually move your arms back into place after the recoil. I, I, I didn't want to do that, but but after they fire one shot, I had no choice but to chuck a grenade between one of its joints. And they were talking so much about how to move it, they never heard me coming. podcast so grand whoa so magnificent and so vast it spans from the way back when right up through yesteryear no way yes way but it starts with phil how do you choose the best equipment and mike the one that looks the best dude phil mike this is really quite simple unless you get an a plus on your final oral report in video game history tomorrow i have no choice but to flunk the both of you two epic airheads Mike, we are in danger of flunking most heinously tomorrow. One time-traveling telephone booth. Uh, strange things are afoot at the Circle K. I'm here to help you with your history report. Who knew the history of video games could be such an excellent adventure? Yo, dude, I have experience bar. How do I get experienced? It's like when you learn stuff for a long time, you know? Oh, oh, look, Mike. Okay, let's check it out. Hey, who is this old dude? It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. Hey, excuse me, old dude. Do you know if there's any bogus bosses of historic significance here? How's it going, ugly pixelated dudes? These are your hosts, Philip Willis. Those are some hot magic slinging babes. And Mike Neeky. It's a gaming report, not a babe report. And all kinds of games from RPG Backtrack. If you guys are really us, what game are we thinking of? Shining Force, dude! Dudes! This is Phil and Mike's Excellent RPG Backtrack. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, Mike, 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 this is RPG Backtrack number 150, woo! 50 times 3. Yeah, it's a round number, so a multiple of like 50, so we have to get really excited, woo We have new introductions, we've got lots of old games, we've got lots of news, and we have the one, the only, Mr. Nathan Schloman. Um, Schloman, Nathan We Schloman. have totally... I'm, I'm just saying this to the viewers, not to well, the listeners, you know, rather than our host, because well, Nathan, you know, it's Nathan, lost cause. He came up with a new way to mispronounce. That's right. It. You got to give him that. Yeah. Well, yeah. this is do, true. <laughs> do you see that? Because it's 150. Everything's awesome. Everything's like exciting. There is so much to talk about. There's so many different ways to pronounce Nathan's last name. There's just so much going on. My mind's gonna blow. And of course, they're all appropriate as far as Phil is concerned. All pronunciations <laughs> are fair with Phil. Well, yeah. Hello. And 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 even the show's name. Hello to my little Vonza. I mean, we could totally make fun of that. Vominizer, womanizer. I mean, it's spelled Wanzer. Do we do we really want to feed him on this, Nathan? I I don't know. I'm just gonna 
how bonds are like supposed to be. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure it's just you, you replace the P with a W and say it like you would a German armored machine. How's that? I mean, I mean, it's not only a really cool round number, and of course we have this really cool new rad intro that has managed to break all of our records so far, if that's even possible, for being the absolute longest podcast introduction music ever. Okay, or theme or whatever we call those things. But, 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 oh my god, we're going to be talking about one of the best RPG series ever made, maybe? And we're going to be talking about, like, oh my gosh, just awesome retro news that has come out in the last couple of weeks. Like, my prayers have been answered. Uh, we're going to be, be talking about uh, one of my favorite publishers really step up to the home plate. I'm, I'm sure Mike's got stuff to talk about, something, right, Mike? I seem to have put up a couple of reviews recently, and I'll have more soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got so stuff happening. We got so much to talk about that I don't even need a drink because I'm drunk off of the excitement of this show. Whoa, whoa! See, your mind is blown. Today we're talking about Front Mission, one of my favorite games uh, on the PlayStation One. Well, Front Mission Three in specific, but we're gonna be talking about the other ones as well. Front Mission First, Front Mission 4, we might even mention a little, what was the other one called? Two? Front Mission First. First? Wait a minute, I said, wait, first. Isn't that the first one? Front Mission First? It, it is the first one. Yeah. But it, but it came out after the other two over here. Go figure, right? Yeah. Just, just, just to make things easy for you, Phil. Yeah, that's confusing. It's that confusing remake thing. Confusing remake thing, damn you. Well, which one are we going to talk about first, then? Do we do we talk about the remake first, or do we talk about Front Mission 3 first? I have no idea. Um, let's... Okay, let's go with the way they were released in English. How's that? Yay! Okay, so so we're going to be talking about Front Mission games. Oh, and, and there's that one other game that did definitely come out in English. It's not an RPG, though. Oh, uh, God, do we have to talk about that? Nathan, if we're going to be all-inclusive with Front Mission, because we're going to give it all, all of them at least a mention, we have to. Wait, wait, are you going to talk about, are you going to talk about the Earthbreaking game that evolved the series? Please, no. Please. Let, let's, let's save that, because I can tell this is already going to be a load of fun. Okay, okay. Uh, let, let's, I'm so, let's, let's, let's cruise high for a little while. I How's am that? so excited that, yeah, we just got to get going. We have got so much ground to cover. So I'm going to, I'm going to hit this little button right here. It's a magic button and it puts some of that transitional music that y'all love so much. And I can hardly, we're going to come back and talk about Front Mission. Woo! I am so excited. Have I mentioned that I'm excited, Mike? 
you may have hinted at it, but I don't think you've explicitly said anything to. The, I to am that super excited, and we're gonna kick. We're we're, we're 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 so excited. We got the order of the games different, so we're gonna talk about front mission. What was it called again? Either first, first front mission yeah. first. Okay, all right, cool. All right, yeah, oh, that hey, does make sense. And in case, oh, go ahead. This, this, this is originally called Front Mission way back when it was first released on what SNES. Yes, yes. Uh, which was back in '95, I want to say. Right, right. Yeah. But so just, no, it's in a majorly expanded remake called Front Mission First. So everyone knows. All right, so we're yeah, talking- which did not come out in English for a while. Instead, it came out on PlayStation. That was the expanded version. And then didn't it come out on the Wonder Swan? Oh wait, I'm sorry, I'm sorry Phil. This is I, where you tell yeah, us what came out. Of. I'm about to, but you guys, <laughs> you guys are running over my excitement. Okay, Front Mission is a tactical role playing game developed by G Craft, the Square Enix company, Ltd. Published by Square Company, Ltd. This was released originally on the Super Nintendo in Japan on February 24th, 1995. And then on the Wonder Swan Color in Japan in July 12, 2002. On the PlayStation 1 in Japan, October 23, 2003. And then we got Front Mission first in Japan, March 22, 2007. And in North America on October 23, 2007. And last but not least, it was also released in Japan on the PlayStation Network, November 11, 2008. This is a single and multiplayer tactical RPG experience with Vanzas. There's a multiplayer component? That's what it says. Okay, and my notes, which look oddly like the Wikipedia page, are never wrong. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to distrust you on that. I think what happens the way multiplayer works, because I've done this before with like similar games. Um, we used to do this in another game I'm going to bring up later on tonight. Uh, is what you do is you just take the controller and you just hand it to people around the room, and each one controls their own robot. Multiplayer! <laughs> Wait, what, what? What is that reminding me of? That's that's something the nerd talked about. I think multiplayer. Oh yeah, yeah. The Water World on Virtual Boy. Now I'm remembering. It had a nine-player mode where you would pass it around the room to each person. Mode, <laughs> <laughs> <a> really? Yes. <laughs> okay. Believe it or not. Okay. Multiplayer Virtual Boy. Yes, because so you'd get so many people who are eager to play the Virtual Boy. <laughs> I'm going to have lots to say later on tonight, and this is the game I've only put a couple hours into, so I'd much rather hand the microphone over to you guys while I let my excitement just build quietly over here in a corner. Well, let's see here. There's a lot of stuff that we begin with here that it's going to stay for the rest of the series, and I think... The whole series is one kind of big overall continuity, and this is where it all begins. The Hoffman Island incident. Yep, let's see. Now, the United States and most of the Americas are the USN, correct? Yeah, basically all of the countries in the world have kind of formed these large political blocks. North America is the USN. Japan, on the other hand, is part of the OCU, where it's bond together like the Philippines, Indonesia, Australia. I'm not sure what else, because I just don't know the exact geography, but... Yeah, I'm not those. sure... I'm not sure if it encompasses China or not. No, I think China's its own thing called Don Hanjong or something. That sounds right from three, definitely. Uh, Yeah. Um, And let's see. The timeline, actually, since the whole series bounces over like a hundred years, we have to narrow down each one game. This one takes place in what? The 2090s, something like that? I, I will trust you on this. 
I'm going off of Dead Reckoning here, but I know, yeah, this ranges, these games range over a lot of time. Yeah, there's actually kind of all kinds of cool recurring things, like, you know, how they actually have mechs recur across different things, they got build off the whole series, which continue across different games, and thus machines you play in one game can be a descendant of another kind of machine concept from a previous one, and kind of cool, but all begins here. Yep. So the stuff that shows up in this game recurs a lot across the series. And I guess we should start with... Uh, no, no, no. I'm going to have to try and cover the story first, because if we get into the mechanics, a lot of that co- goes through the, throughout the games, and um, I think Phil would have contributions to, to make in that case. Sponsors! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, okay, the basic thing is that at the start of this game, basically some geological event occurs, and a giant island kind of props up right in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. The Hoffman Islands, and basically this new landmass. So different powers said, you know, we want to claim this land. So the east side gets claimed by the USN, the west side gets claimed by the OCU. And they don't like the this contradictory claim, so war breaks out. That's the basic starting point of the Hoffman Island. But you know, there's plenty to go on. Yeah, it's something. I mean, it's a little bit of a stretch that a giant island pops up in the middle of nowhere, but, you know, it's <laughs> this kind of happens once in a while. So... Yeah, we have we have stuff. new volcanic islands all the time. They're just usually not that big. Yeah, this one's kind of big for the islands thing. But as suspensions of disbelief in JRPGs go, this one is fairly minor. Yeah, this the world of Front Mission is you know surprisingly realistic and well grounded, which is kind of why Amano is kind of a strange choice for the artist for the original character designs for this game. But it's true. You look at the characters in the first one and you go. Wow, Natalie, you you really look like you should be in the cast of Final Fantasy VI. What are you doing on Huffman Island? <laughs> yeah, that's like uh, or, seeing Amano trying to draw you know <laughs> modern realistic soldier characters is it's a little strange. It doesn't but, really work. Yeah, it just it's not that his art is bad. It's just a strange fit for this, which is supposedly yeah. a realistic setting in. Somewhere 70, 100 years in the future from now, where, you know, yeah. the fantastical elements are almost nil. Yeah, it's, it's really quite strange. Now, the, I played the original storyline, the one with Royd Clive. I I think that was the official translation, Royd. Yeah, because... Royd. I, it's a little... <laughs> Thank you, Square. <laughs> that, was, that was a lot of effort you expended here. But I, I shouldn't be too hard, because we did get it officially in English, and that's better than nothing. Yeah, that's always worth being happy about. But when it when it came to the PlayStation, they added a second storyline under one Kevin Greenfield, which I gather yeah, is more challenging. I, it's the more advanced one, basically. It's created later, taking mechanics from, you know, that's introduced later in the series, and bringing it back into the first game to create an alternate storyline. using Well, basically, the original storylines... the now the OCU storyline telling the story of people from basically Japan's perspective whereas mm-hmm. the new one's the USN perspective from the, just the United States Army's kind of look on, take on things and the whole events. So sometimes I, I, probably, I probably will go back to it and play the Kevin Greenfield one because Yeah, I haven't actually seen the Kevin story either actually to me but I've seen the original story but not the added one. Well let's see what I remember because I played it, geez, eight years ago something like that, <laughs> when, it, when it was fresh out in English. So it's yeah, most of my knowledge is from that time too. But I definitely, I remember the battles. Uh, no, I shouldn't get into the battles yet. The story was just there. I don't remember it being particularly uh, gripping, but neither was I repelled. It was just yeah, effective for what it was. 
it basically I'll give a quick summary of the story. It, it's this is this is okay. The broadest possible terms that basically Hoffman Island appears. A war begins fight, being fought over it. In the background, we've got your main character Roy, who he's got this thing where there's this woman who is really important to him, who well vanishes mysteri- under mysterious circumstances, and he spends a lot of time looking for her in the midst of the conflict, because you know there's clues here and there, and well, in the uh, the war continues. It was the OCU gets a little bit of advantage. Forces come in. The the nation of Zaftra begins to help intervene to create a peace treaty. If I recall, oh, but well, okay. Th- my mind's a little vague here, but Zaftra gets involved. The, the basically there's a secret thing going on with Zaftra, which is it's more or less renamed Russia. Just it keeps showing <laughs> up as the villains of the series, but it's basically Russia. They just don't want to call it Russia. Uh, if they made it now, they probably wouldn't mind calling it Russia. <laughs> Possibly not, but just those evil Zaftrins. Uh, they they're basically they, they come from a very cold and very large place. Yes, and they're basically in the background. They're basically using the entire war between two foreign countries as a way of well testing out various secret weapons in the help of various weapon supplier country, companies. These various arms companies are basically you know using the war to test all kinds of crazy technologies. And the main character is basically the. The woman he's fallen in love with, who vanished, basically he fell victim to one of these things, and well, I don't know how to describe it. That just sounded kind of awkward and uncomfortable. That works. I mean, you're you're coming up with more than I can remember. Yeah. Well. Okay. Basically, she got her brain pulled out and got put into a computer box to create a kind of weapon system called the B device, and that's basically what the hero discovers right at the end. Is like this woman I've been chasing for has been turned into a weapons computer and. He kills the person who's held responsible for this and takes her to the computer and installs it into his own mech and says, like, I'm finally with the woman I love again, which is kind of creepy. <laughs> and then they go and defeat the Zafrin's commander and such, and that's about it. Wow. Well, good for him. Yeah. If, if, if he's happy, I, I won't complain too much, so long as he doesn't try to make me join him in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, the story- I don't remember who the final antagonist was, but I remember him being kind of a joke just because his mech had no range capabilities, so I was able yeah. to hit it with missiles. Yeah, it's got a single super mech, which isn't all that super, and your main character's mech just got a crazy powerful upgrade. Well, if you, I guess if you try and use only melee against him, it would be pretty bad, but... Yeah, that would be bad, but... That would... You have other options. Yeah, why would you, why would you handicap yourself like that? Yeah, well, of course, this is the game where there's the thing that, you know, there's a difference between, you know, long-ranged weapons and actually long-ranged weapons, because yeah, uh, unlike later games, machine guns have a range of one, this game. Uh, Wait, we're, we're, I suppose I should mention uh, Pee-wee, the, the supply driver right now, because <laughs> his character design is just so dang goofy. I mean, yeah, we mentioned Amano's designs, but Pee-wee stands out even among those. Yeah, it is. There are a few... Really crazy designs in there. He looks like he came right off of a Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are actually quite a few different characters you can join, get you to join you in this game. You don't need to use all of them. You can you only deploy a limited number in each map, and there's no real point not just focus on a small number of them, if I recall correctly. That jives with my memory, too. I don't remember the character limit, though. It may have varied from battle to battle. Yeah, I can't remember. Um. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm just not remembering the plot very much. Except uh, it, it. It was 
much grittier than most Super Nintendo era plots. How's that? Yeah, it's but not as quite as you know ornate and complex and fascinating as the Tactic Joker. Well, no, but then again, that's Matsuno, and he. Yeah, that's you know, it's that's kind of a high bar. So. It is. So, do you want me to to do you want me to read the one paragraph or maybe it's two paragraph if you count the second ending summary from from my better, notes, my detailed notes. Better read the one paragraph since um, the second ending is probably from the second storyline, which we didn't play. Yeah, because, okay, so it says the plot of Front Mission revolves around the Captain Roy. Lord, like you said, who comes up with these noise? Really? <laughs> what was his last name? Him? Oh, my gosh. Anyways. No, Roy Clive. Roy Clive. Lord. Oh, gosh. You know, some translationist, some translationist was just really pissed. He, he only got like a 3% raise that year. And so he decided to sneak that one in. Uh, an OCU reconnaissance platoon. Maybe led- he was just really ticked off at all the fanboys on this side getting in his face we went for a mission five and he took it out there <laughs> mm-hmm. uh the res- i don't know the re- reconnaissance platoon led by royd is assigned to investigate a usm munitions plant in a Lucas district located on eastern huffman island upon reaching the premises the platoon is ambushed by usn vanzas led by officer driscoll he quickly ambushes karen mar royd's fiance and destroys her vanza as the two force engage in battle, Driscoll detonates explosives inside the plant and escapes. The USN accuses the OCU of the attack, later known as the Larkus Incident, but the OCU insists that the incident was a setup. Both sides soon declare war, setting off the second Huffman conflict. The OCU blame, uh, pins the blame on the incident of the Royds platoon, discharging them from the military indefinitely. One year later, OCU Colonel Gurry Olson seeks him out at a Vonza fighting arena in the town of... Yeah, because, you know, there's these towns where they just get these big, huge-ass expensive robots that only the military can normally afford. don't knock the arenas. The arenas are awesome. Okay. In the town of Brighton, uh, dangling the prospect of killing the person responsible for Karen's death, he manages to recruit Clive to the Canyon Crow's mercenary outfit. With the Canyon Crow's, Royd is assigned to help the OCU military reverse its fortunes and win the war. So the Nintendo version and the PlayStation uh, remake... Um, the, you can also play a second scenario revolving around Officer Kevin Green, and this is months before the Larkus incident. Okay, Phil, here. I have just put a picture of Pee-wee so that you can see what I'm talking about when I say he looks like a Saturday morning cartoon Oh character. my goodness, what the <laughs> hell is that? <laughs> what is that doing in my front mission game? He's your truck driver. So he's he's uh, he's uh, that doesn't look. Look at this. Look at look, 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 He's got like eight chins. I mean, the chins have their own zip codes. I mean, come on, come on, guys. Good That's God. why he's the truck driver. He doesn't have to get out of the truck very often. I guess no. He's sitting in the truck eating his his combo burritos from Taco Bell every day, and that's what happens. Sweet mother of mercy, just stop the insanity. Uh, anyways, uh, so yes, there. Just to understand, there is a a second scenario available, that with the front mission first, and that's quite a bit of extra value for what was at first just a port of it on the PlayStation. I'd say. Yeah, and if this thing's uh, so, uh, lengthwise, when you guys got through it the first time, was this thing like hitting the eighty to ninety hour mark? That certain other no. games I played. It, it, it was somewhere around a 40, 45 hour. I don't yeah. remember. Well, that's good. Maybe that's what the second scenario is for, for those people who crave an 80 hour experience. 
there are ways to get that. If you just feel like sitting there and having arena fights after every battle for an hour, then you'll you'll hit the max pretty fast. Well, there you go. There you go. So, uh, plot. I yeah, yeah. That uh, sounds uh, not so interesting. But but hey, you generally don't play our tactical games for super deep and awesome plots. I guess the cool thing that could be said about it is, like you said, it's more of a, a modern setting. Um, and I mean, generally speaking, you know, you've got most of these tactical games like Final Fantasy Tactics and such, or you know, fantasy past, you know, magic medieval type of settings. And then then you have like the those series you like. Um, Super Robot Tyson? Yeah, Super Robot Tyson and, and, and a couple of others that right now are escaping me. But a lot of those Shining are... Shining Force? Eh, yeah, they're kind of like futuristic, I was going to say. Oh, okay. But this one's really uh, down to earth. I mean, this one... I, yeah, I think you mentioned that it's set in... Was it? Wait, when was this? When did you say it was set again? Somewhere around the start of the 20, 22nd century. Uh, or... Set in 2090. Okay. So not too far in the future. but So by 2090, I expect, if I'm still around, I should only be like 150 by then, um, I'm fully <laughs> expecting gigantic walking robots that, you know, cannons and everything else. Wait, you're 75 now, Phil? Yeah. Why didn't you tell me this? <laughs> yeah, hello. <laughs> Shoot. Well, of course, this is, this is not the first Front Mission game chronologically. We know that Vonzers will be developed not too far from now, I think. I've... And that is completely legitimate. I, I honestly see no reason why a real life equivalent of a Vonzer can't happen sometime soon. I mean, you know, people probably build crazy humanoid walking robot things that are just kind of utterly impractical, non-military focused. But yeah, but all all we have to do is take some idea of a drone and make it ground based and make it uh, imp- nigh impregnable to ordinary gunfire, and bam, we've got something. <laughs> and I'm sure the military would want it. <laughs> So Give it a giant metal club to bash things with, and we've got a Vonzer. <laughs> so let's jump into the meat and potatoes, what we really play front mission games for, the combat. Well, okay, the first one, there aren't any skills yet, and melee is a terrible choice because it can always be countered. So as long as you can, you want to stick with long-range stuff, which uh, generally means missiles. Yeah, and... so basically there's... Th- basically... It's more or less like your typical kind of Final Fantasy Tactics style or Fire Emblemish kind of one, well, somewhere between those, I guess, kind of tactical RPG in which you kind of move around, you move adjacent to opponents, and you attack. And however, it's kind of got the interesting thing that you've got weapons of three different ranges. You've got well, short range weapons, which are basically you know punching weapons and clubs and such. You've got more medium ranged weapons, which are you know handguns and machine guns. And you got your long range weapons, which are basically missiles and and which you know, cannot be countered. <laughs> Yeah, basically, short and medium weapons both are only like can only be used against adjacent fo- opponents. However, the thing is that guns always shoot first if you're fighting against a short range weapon, which you know makes sense. You gotta, then we get you get use a melee weapon, they gotta close in, so they get to shoot you in that time. So they always have that slight advantage over melee weapons. However, it's not, okay, always neutral when you're using the either two guns or two melee weapons. So it's more based off. Yeah, the everybody stats. they just they just shoot each other at the same time and. You can right. usually watch as somebody's arm gets blown off in the in the ensuing melee. That's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And as for the long range, well, because you can't because those can't be countered, uh, the enemy will abuse them whenever possible, and you should do the same. Yeah, fire missiles. They're good. Missiles this are awesome. does not stop changing across the length of the series. Actually, it really doesn't. I mean, it gets to be more of a pain in the butt later when you have to reload them, but it's still. <laughs> It's still just a dang handy thing to do. 
Unless you want to make it harder for yourself, of course. That's totally up to you. Um, so yeah, you don't really have any skills. Looking at my old review, I see that I mentioned you have four experience categories here. Melee, short range, long range, and dodging. And um, dodging is a good thing. You will you will build up in that by, take a wild guess, being attacked and dodging. <laughs> and what do you know? With more experience, you get better at stuff. So uh, by constantly using long range attacks, you might get better at them and give you even more incentive to use long range attacks. What are the odds? I think different characters have kind of different kind of proficiency for these different skills, but I can't remember. They probably do, but I seem I don't seem to remember having any problems if I tried to use somebody who wasn't necessarily gifted at that particular skill set. So okay. you can work you can work with it. And ah yes, here is where we begin what you should probably you should probably enjoy this aspect of front mission. If you don't then I'm sorry. And that is mixing and matching Vonzer parts. Mm-hmm. God damn, that's really fun. You know, it's you know not really a good mech game unless you can you know build your own mechs. And Front Mission gets it right from the get go. Um, it's basically a very simple setup. You've got your body, you've got your left arm, you've got your right arm, and you've got your legs. That's about it. And let's let's take the legs as an example. You could have hover hover skirts, whatever those are. They let you float, but they're pretty darn terrible if you have to climb anything. You can have various kinds of standard legs legs that can climb, legs that don't move very far, but allow you to jump up huge elevations. You can have legs that let you run a huge distance, but if they come into any kind of sticky terrain, then you're going to have a terrible time. And the game will tell you what these legs are good at, and you can just pick and match as you choose. And you've got your arms, which are more or less the same story. Some arms are tougher, some arms are able to carry more. Oh yes, the weight component, that's also going to Crop, crop up yeah, all the basically time. Your legs can only carry so much you know, weight on them, so you need to you know, make sure your other parts will fit into the carrying capacity of your legs. Yeah, and if you try to put more parts, especially weapons, on your Vonzer than it can actually carry, then the game will give you a red number and you have to fix it, which yeah. you know, makes sense. You need to if be you careful to about put... your load up. You do. And also, you don't really, if you, you want to get under the weight capacity, but you don't want a huge weight capacity over for the most part. I guess that helps for... Does that help with melee weapons in this game, or is it only later they had that? I think it's only later ones. After all, melee yeah. is already at enough of a disadvantage in this game. Yeah. And it's the thing that you... So, you know, if you're using guns and such, you want to, you know, use as good of a, and heavy parts as you can within your weight limits, so you can use those... You know, your attacks as powerful, so they don't have as much HP as you can, because, you, you know, weight that's not being used for something is just being wasted, so d- don't be wasteful. Yeah, I mean... In this game in particular, having two missiles on one for each shoulder, that's generally a good idea, but (laughs) you probably don't need to have anything else. Maybe something for close-range combat, but... Oh, yeah, Yeah, I forgot. This one, one, the shields are actually on the shoulders instead of held in the hand, so that's kind of a choice. Oh, that's blasphemy. (laughs) It belongs in your hand. Takes up a slot. (laughs) Gives you extra protection. Well, putting it on a shoulder means you can't put a second missile launcher there. So I can have a shield and dual machine guns going on? Yes. Oh, that's whacked. Oh, that that's just whacked. Yeah. I never said it made complete logical sense. No, that just... I mean, if you watch enough mecha anime, you've seen something that looks like this actually working, which, you know, so it can make sense that way, but... You know, it's whacked. You just, <laughs> just call it like it is. So... Okay, and the, and the arena, which has a really catchy waiting wait, wait. tune... 
Wait, 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 wait. See, okay. you, 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 you dive so much into the crunchy crunch, you forget about the beauty of it. What's really, really cool is when you get into combat and you fire your weapons or whatever have you, it does like this All little this... cutscene thing, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It does. You kind of zoom in to each other. It's, again, this is the Fire Emblem style of the tactical RPG thing coming in, which is, you know, you get to zoom into the close perspective and you see them fighting it out. And, you know, all those parts you installed each have their own HP bar. And you get to watch them all kind of train, independently get hit and train with the attacks. Just, yeah, and you get to watch, get, get little arms blown off if one of the arms run out of hit points or something. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and there's really no way to guide your attacks at all in this one, but. Yeah, it's that's... just really random. And, you know, it makes sense. This is another thing that will carry on throughout the series. If you lose your legs, if your legs are blown apart, then shocker of shockers, you can't move very much each turn. And if your arm gets gets blown off, it's kind of hard to hold a gun in it. Now, now... So that's usually why you might want to have something for both arms, just in case one of them gets blown off. Is Is it like Front Mission 3, like when your legs get blown off, you can move one square? Yeah. Now, am I the only one who just thinks that's a little silly? I mean, I'm personally thinking your robot's legs get blown off, you move zero squares. I'm thinking can, it's something like... They have like... arms. They can crawl. Oh, they crawl? Is that what they're doing? <laughs> that's what I was imagining they're doing. <laughs> it's a good one. I like that. Yeah, uh, they, they, they just drag themselves along on the ground for a square and then grab the weapon again. Grab the weapon again and go for it. That is hilarious. I, I, like I said, I played it for just a couple hours and I, fe- I, I liked the I liked the uh, combat animations. I felt it was somewhere in between the typical DS Fire Emblem game which looked like teeny tiny little sprites whipping all over the place uh, and Shining Force which had a lot more uh, detail but uh, you know a little bit fewer frames. Um, but I, I felt like this was somewhere in between. I felt like there was more detail in the mix than uh, Fire Emblem and a, a bit more fluid animation at least from what I remember this was a while ago on the DS version fair enough yeah as we've observed most late period Super Nintendo games have aged pretty well in their looks department yeah unlike PlayStation 1 games well we'll get to that (laughs) soon enough Uh, this one is a lot darker than some of the other late Super Nintendo games but that suits its setting yeah it's got a very grisly dark palette Actually, the SNES version looks a bloody lot like Tactics Ogre. Well, let's face it, Phil. There were only so many looks you could give a tactical game on the Super Nintendo. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is true. This is pretty funny. Ah, you know, good old robots, big old robots. But yes, I'm playing, I, I well, uh, uh, so. Um, um, let's see. You said has, com- a good, has a good score, too. I like the movie. Okay, so, so but you're going to talk about the Coliseum. Arena. Arena, yes. Arena. Which is where you go if, you know, this being a tactical game, many tactical games have a set amount of battles and you can't expand upon that. But if you go into the arena, you'll find lots of bloodthirsty people who will gladly do battle with you. If you kick their butt, then um, you get to keep some money because you get to bet on your own matches here. And you get whatever experience it takes to take the guy down. And yes, the, the the arena waiting theme is really catchy. You know, arena fighting, a proud tradition of both mecha battles and tactical RPGs. So a natural home in front mission. Yeah. And let's face it, you might just want to pump somebody up before a battle, and this is the way to do it. Go into a few arena fights, see what the guy's capable of. And uh, this happens in 2089, I can't remember if it happens in the original, where the amount that people are willing to pay out if you win is a good determinant of how hard the fight's going to be. No, no memories here, Nathan? Sorry, I... 
Okay. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, Fire Emblem's always done that, but, you know, my memory's not great. Okay. So I, I think sorry. pretty much all of this was, was uh, borrowed wholesale by 2089, so I can... I'll say it was probably the same here. 2089 even ripped off the arena theme. <laughs> and 2089 is its own thing, so I'll talk about it later. Um, the mobile game, or...? The DS port of it. Okay. Or sort of port. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a Japanese cell phone, so I can't play the original <laughs> version of it. <laughs> Nor would I want to. Um, so, do you think people should rush out and go play it? Well, give us the price breakdown. I wouldn't say you should necessarily spend hundreds of dollars on it, but I yeah. don't think it goes for that. Yeah, it's Front Mission. Holy cow, $100? That would be a discount. <laughs> no, I said hundreds, <laughs> plural. Okay, our our players, they demand the best. Now, yes, you can find a cartridge-only used copy around $30. But for the listeners of the RPG Backtrack who want that crap brand new in the shrink wrap with the instruction book and the whole nine yards, boy, get ready to open up that wallet because it's $130 plus shipping and handling. That is, that is a change. Wow. Because that's what our I listeners that demand. That must have been GameStop. I picked that up in GameStop. That was one of the things I actually went into the store to pick up. And you know what? I'm glad I did it. Especially look at the price now, jeez. Well, somebody's selling uh, one with the box and the instructions here for $70, so that makes me feel good because I'm pretty sure I brought that on sale for like 15 So, okay, but the question is, is it worth it? Is it worth the 30 bucks for the cartridge only? I'd say so. Yes, that's about, not a bad that's, game. That's about what we paid when it was brand new, right, Nathan? Yeah, more or less, yeah. I mean, it might have been 40 because of the stupid Square Enix surcharge, but... I can't even remember if they applied that. This might have been early enough that the Square Enix surcharge on DS stuff hadn't taken effect yet. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, I, and, I don't think the I don't think when it came out originally it was any more expensive than any other. I, I think I would remember that if it came out like an extra ten bucks. But nowadays it apparently costs an extra ten bucks if you want the box and the instructions with it. Shoot, costs an extra twenty or thirty bucks. But hey, hey, I've got a better value for you guys. Are you ready? Well, if we're going chronologically, we should probably do an import now. No. No, no, this won't take too long. Uh, fine, you're going to make me pull up the notes that I forgot to write. <laughs> but, hold on, hold on. I got notes. I got notes for everything, boy, because I spent, listeners, let me tell you what, I spent hours. I'm, I'm thinking of a different hours. import, actually. This is, a, this is Front Mission Gun Hazard. Gun Hazard? Oh, no, no. I thought you were talking about Front Mission 2. Gun Hazard came before it, and I did play it, so I'm going to talk about it. Oh my gosh. Front Mission what? Gun Hazard. Gun Hazard. You know, I think there's another game that we should talk about instead. It starts with an E. Uh, let's see. Front Mission Gun <laughs> Hazard, a side-scrolling RPG shooter game developed by Amira Soft and published by Square. <laughs> uh, this was released on the Super Famicom in February or on February 23rd, 1996. And, uh, and, 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 you know, the screenshot is so horrendous here. I can't even tell if I'm looking at a Vonzer or a turd. It's just, it, <laughs> it's just like this. Little, dude, it's a little gray blob and it looks like it's taking a crap. And I can't tell from this <laughs> screenshot what the hell this thing is. Is that one any better? Okay, gonna look at this screenshot. Oh, that one's... Damn, that's so tight. Hold on, let me use my screen blow-up feature here. Okay, hold on, scrolling in. Okay, all right. Uh, Now, this one is in higher resolution, uh, but it looks like there's a tan turd on the left. Is that a Vonzer? That is a truck. 
Oh, that's a no, no, no. That's a. I see the truck, but what's that yellow turd next to it? That's not yellow. That's gray. Like it's a tan. It's a, Are you it's talking a, about the two the two tan things next to the door? No, 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 no. Right next to the truck, to the right of the truck, there's this standing turd. <laughs> well phrased, Phil. Standing turd. <laughs> it's a standing turd. Is that a Vonzer? That is a Vonzer. Okay. All right. So, so okay. So quickly talk about this because because I can't contain my excitement for much longer. I'm gonna be. I just I might have a turd right here in my pants if you make me wait too much longer. <laughs> okay. Gun Hazard plays like. Uh, well, it's definitely an action RPG, but it's an emphasis on the action part in that you kind of need to have reaction skills and you can actually get out of the Vonzer and fight on foot from time to time. Which, what is that, like... Um, Blaster uh, Master! Oh, sure, Blaster Master! Yeah, you can do that. I mean, you, you you won't live very long in most places except for the ones with little corridors that only you without your Vonzer can navigate. And you can have a friend come along <clears throat> for most missions. You have a stock of friends. There's one who pilots a gigantic bomber overhead and will drop things overhead on your on your opponents. Of course, it's useless indoors, because apparently this is the weakest bomber in the world. It can't penetrate buildings. Um, you have a nice range of equipment. You get to select between it. I rem- distinctly remember trying to tackle the final boss and getting my butt kicked, and then I went out and gained about 10 levels and enough cash to upgrade my equipment, because you can actually do that with money here, too. Instead of just buying straight out new equipment, you can improve the stuff you already have. And you have different types of weapons. There's a homing weapon, there's rockets, there's lasers and all that fun stuff. Uh, The controls, I remember them being a little problematic. Not terrible, but the the Vonzer had multiple positions you could aim it in, and it liked to, rather than switch smoothly, it would switch between each one of them, and you had to keep pressing the the D-pad in order to make it go where you needed it to. And it wasn't terribly challenging if you bothered to level up for a while, which was, you know, fine. I can't remember much of the story at all because I did play it in Japanese. I did play the real cartridge, but, you know, it doesn't much matter. (laughs) I, I can't claim this is the greatest action RPG I've ever played, but it probably wouldn't have taken that much effort to bring it over in 96, so I'm kind of sad we didn't get it then. And... Let's see, what are your options to play it now? You can either get the Super Famicom cartridge or you can use the one, what pro gamers say they don't use very often, which is the emulator. Uh, it, it might be on the Wii console in Japan, I don't know. Oh, it has a really good soundtrack. The Buo Uimatsu actually did music outside of Final Fantasy for this game. Uh, yeah, there you go, Phil. See, I didn't take too long. Front Mission 3! Front Mission 3! Oh, but 
You know we have to cover Front Mission 2 first. Uh-uh, no. Front Mission 3. <laughs> Developed by Square Product Development Division 6. Published by Square Electronic Arts in North America. This was released on the PlayStation in North America on February 29th, 2000. And later on, the PlayStation Network on December 21st, 2010. This is the most awesome single-player tactical RPG ever made! Okay, Maybe not, but it's damn close. I love myself some Front Mission 3. Oh my gosh. Okay, I've got to set the stage here. Okay, because, because, because. So I bought, you know, I had a PlayStation. Yeah, hard to believe. And, and. Wait, I, I, you had a PlayStation, Phil? Where does this come from? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I, I first game, one of the first games I got was, was Final Fantasy VII. And I got that on my system. And, and Final Fantasy VII was, uh, was my really first experience having that full 3D console RPG experience. And while that will always have a certain place in my heart because of that, uh, it, it also left me wanting. It wasn't quite up to the standard I felt Final Fantasy VI set for us in terms of story and character development. But what else? Then, uh, so I never really felt the need to go back and play Seven again. I didn't feel the need to 100% it. I didn't feel the need to dodge all those lightning bolts or go beat the Ruby Omega, kill, kick your ass weapon, whatever. I, I got through it, got it on my system, and I was done. So I was looking for something else, and I was running into games like Wild Arms and stuff. And it's Let's like, see. Uh, you, got, you got the PlayStation Win? Uh, I, I would imagine it was, what, 98-ish or so? I mean, that's when okay. Final Fantasy VII was out. Okay, I'm just because there was say... there was a period if you got it in '98 before we had Front Mission Three, so you probably had to fill it with other stuff. Yeah, well, yeah, and at some point I got Tactics in there, and Tactics was 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 quite a bit of fun. Um, but uh, but then I got Front Mission Three, and I mean it had the the awesomeness of Final Fantasy Tactics Tactics, uh, but 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 with the uh, with the cinematics, the 3D cinematics of Final Fantasy VII. Uh, so uh, there's a st- uh, this is a story like nobody cares. Okay, it, when we you, got you, want, f- you want me to go into it? I, I can tell you about one of them. Here, let's get it out of the way. Phil. Okay, get it out of the way. Get out of the way. All right, you're, you're Kazuki Takimura. You are a bonzer tester in Japan. You have a choice at the beginning. You go with your friend Ryogo, or do you stay at the testing facility? And if you go with him. Then you get to meet Emir, who goes by Emma for some reason. I don't know why. Her name is Emir, and yet she says, call me Emma. And everybody calls her Emma 99.9% of the time when her name is clearly Emir. Whatever. And you get to jump out of Japan because things are going crazy. And you wind up with a USN patrol in the Pacific Ocean. And you get to go on to Papua New Guinea and into Australia and on to the mainland of Malaysia and... I think, and then you get to go deep into a Chinese civil war that takes place. Oh, and also you get to learn that there's a gigantic, there's actually a tunnel between Taiwan and China that they make in the future. That's very interesting to know. Mm-hmm. And you get to take out a gigantic mobile fortress called the, the Tianlei in China, which is the size of the Technodrome and moves around and shakes the very earth. And no one ever knew how it never knew about it, apparently, because, you know, eastern China is so underpopulated that you can easily sneak gigantic things like that around and no one will notice. And your secret, your goal in all of this is to try and stop evil people who are trying to get this thing called Midas, which stands for something I don't remember what, but Midas is an evil, evil weapon, which is kind of like a nuclear bomb if it had no radiation and blew up everything in three dimensions instead of just two. 
And eventually that takes you back to Japan and there's a military coup going on and you have to go to Okinawa and settle things with the evil Lukov who is an imaginary number. Yes, the bad guys are imaginary numbers or real numbers. That is what they are called because they are they were bred as clones or something and somehow real numbers are stronger than imaginary numbers. I don't know. Go go take trigonometry again if you want the basics for how that could work. And Lukov has decided that because he's an imaginary number or a, or a real number, whichever it was, and therefore superior to humanity because he was bred in a laboratory, then obviously he needs to take over the world with the help of Midas because then he can do you know all, all the things that super intelligent people are able to do. And you have to kick his butt in the fi- in the penultimate battle, and you do. And then the final battle is actually what appears to be, it might be the White House lawn, where you land from a Filipino space shuttle, where your Vonzers launch and land on the lawn and take out a few police Vonzers in front of the White House. And then you go in and ruin a press conference, and uh, you expose that Midas was a bad thing, and people should know about it. Uh, I was genuinely astonished at how often people will have deep set beliefs, something like, I'm not leave. I can't leave. I have been I have been entrusted with this sacred task. And then Kazuki or his friend Ryoko, who is extremely nineties, he says heinous at one point, that's how nineties he is, will just talk to somebody, Man, but you really should, you know, we could really use your help. And then that deep set belief will come crashing down. You know, you're right. I'm gonna come with you. That's that's the gist of how a lot of conversations go in this game. People will change their minds really fast, and it's all over. Conflict over. But, uh, there. There. That's that's the gist of the plot. How's that? Okay, boring plot out of the way! Kill stuff! <laughs> okay, so what's really, really cool uh, about this this game is... is when you're you're it's similar to the last front mission in terms of how the battles work setting up your vonzers except shields are in the hands where they belong boys and girls not on the shoulders silly but what's really neat is when you go to attack somebody and it does that little cutscene thing well now those are in 3d and the, it's real fun when you launch one of your shoulder missiles at some guy across the map, and it does like a chase camera angle on the on the missile and slams into the other mech, knocking him back a few steps, or better yet, blowing off an arm or something along those lines. Now, front mission games have one weakness, which really perturbed me later on in front mission four more than anything else, and that's their speed. They're just slow games, but and you could turn off the cutscenes, but then you're losing on half the fun. But dang, damn it, they're so slow sometimes. But but they back in those days when it was on the big screen TV and this was all pretty much new stuff, uh, people would come over just to watch me play Front Mission, just to watch these big, huge ass robots looking like something from a Godzilla movie, stomping around these smaller towns and stuff, and just blowing the crap out of each other. I mean, it was just it was just fun to watch. Now, well, here's here's a new part of Front Mission Three, which is oh, you you don't like that car in your way or those trees in your way? You can attack them instead of an enemy. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so uh, now you you do get you do get skills. Uh, those are based on what what weapon you have equipped or something. Oh my, the skills! Do you want to know how we learn those, Phil? 
because I'm going to tell you now, it's not going to make you happy. Okay, well, well, let's just point out that when the skill activates, which is random once you've got the thing learned, uh, so let's say I've got a shotgun and it's got the zoom feature, which gives me more accuracy when I shoot the gun or whatever. It'll it'll do this little cutscene thing where it'll, it'll zoom in and go tick, 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 and boom. Um, so there's all these special effects that, that kind of kick in as this as that that as those uh, as they're doing their attacks and their skills kick in so that was also kind of adding to the excitement now that excitement would go downhill real quick when an enemy does it to you and the skill is called eject cuz cuz that <laughs> means your pilot would be force ejected out of his machine and that and, never happened to me yeah cuz i had somebody learn pilot eject which is a skill but uh-huh. it it was good for me most of the time because it, it when he learned it it only activates if his bonzer is destroyed, and then he gets to wander around as a as a pilot for a little bit. Oh yes, the pilots—they get to wander outside of the bonzers in this one. Uh-huh. Yeah, because that was a great gameplay mechanic. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting thing. They can well, come knock on. Out of a bonzer and you take over that enemy bonzers if need be. So you can do that. Or there's there's one battle I fought where a plane has just crashed, and for some reason we have to go kill the people who were in it without our bonzers. Where you can't earn experience outside of your Vonzer, so that was kind of a waste. Uh, but also, you get to learn that the pilots your people carry are so the pistols your people are carrying are so strong that they can freaking blow down trees. You use your, <laughs> you use that pistol on a tree; it goes down. Well, I guess pistol technology improves a lot in like more than a century from now. That this takes place. Yeah, apparently we've learned how to completely eliminate recoil so that it doesn't b- break all your bones in your body. No, it, it must be high-explosive pistol rounds. Which also don't give, don't splash back on you at all. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it does occasionally happen randomly. If it happens to, to an enemy, then that's fine, because you can either try to kill the pilot, which is amazingly difficult. But you're really off, hard you're to ac- hit the small guys. Your accuracy just takes a dive somehow. And even if you do manage to hit them, you would think that being punched by a Vonzer would kill, but it usually doesn't. It doesn't even necessarily do half damage. These people only have 20 HP. What are they eating? How are their bones so strong? Uh, Maybe we got them backwards and Vonzers are that kind of fragile, but then again, they seem pretty tough other times. So. Most of the time, yeah. Uh, I mean, normal tanks don't even compare, so... No, tanks... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, helicopters, probably... that makes sense, because helicopters have to be able to fly, but tanks are often even weaker than helicopters. <laughs> yeah, tanks are pretty weak. In fact, it's probably harder to kill a guy on foot than it is to kill a tank. It's kind of like why you need the tank, but... Well, those helicopters are horrible. If I remember correctly, they just had this insane dodge rate. I mean... They don't I... necessarily have a dodge rate, but they do like to pack you, to blast you with missiles while staying out of range, so you, you have to use either your own missiles... Or you have to get close, and you know they're they're going to be little pains in the butt, so they won't tr- they won't let you get close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bad. Sure, helicopters, darn helicopters. Although it is kind of funny if you manage to make the hel- the pilot of a helicopter eject, the helicopter will magically land so that he can get right back in the next turn. <laughs> <laughs> that is quite handy. Instead of you know it crashing so that he can't. Um. So yeah, you get tanks. Oh, yes! And the hilarious battle in, uh... Where was it? Somewhere in Indonesia with against the Methane Vonzers, piloted by a goofy family. 
Yes, there, there's this entrepreneur in Indonesia who has the idea for the methane-powered Vonzer, which looks exactly like a pickup truck on legs, <laughs> and is and is armed with machine guns, and you eventually, for whatever reason, you meet one of these guys again, and he gets KO'd in one shot, because by that point, the enemies are much, much stronger, and then he joins you. And you get emails from his company president-slash-father about how he's in the news all the time, and the factory is finally getting tons of methane Vonzer orders, but why aren't you using the methane Vonzer in combat? What is what is the matter here? We need a good advertisement for the product. And you're not using it in product in combat because A, you can't, don't have access to it, and B, it had a max of 100 HP for t- all of the body and the legs. It had no arms. That's why the methane Vonzer is useless in combat. <laughs> I, I remember that battle because it was such a goof. You fight the whole family. Here's Grandma piloting a Vonzer. You shoot her down. Oh, dear, I guess I should go in back and play with me and do the cooking now. You beat Grandpa. Grandma, I'm kind of bored now. I'm going to take a nap. Which is how people would normally respond if the vehicle they're in is blown up, right? I'll take that as a yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, more combat. Uh, it's just, oh man. And I mean, they really felt the weight and the size of, of the mechs. It, and as odd as it seems, and maybe it's rose colored glasses, but it, it, it uh, of course, the, the, the graphics in Front Mission 4 on a PlayStation 2 are technically superior. But I, I just felt like it, it felt like the weight of the mechs, the size of them, the in comparison to the detail around them just made a lot more sense to me. Yeah, okay. well, we'd have to talk, talk about four a bit more, but there's a very big difference in the whole kind of presentation, visual difference, visual, uh, just kind of visual style of the different games. Uh, I think generally you could say Fun Mission Three is probably the much higher budget game actually between the two, despite one coming later, coming later with higher kind of graphical quality. It's just there's a, not as much care in the graphics in four, which really affects things like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, okay, okay. As long as we're talking about the visuals. Yes, they are clearly PS1. There are times when the camera foolishly pans very close to, say, a bush or a building, and you can <laughs> look at the individual polygons pretty closely. Or, or, you know, maybe a scene in which you actually see the people walking around up close, at which point you can see that the animations of the basic individual people are really bad. Yes, and this. also you can't make out any facial features, and I know that will trip one of Phil's secret buttons. <laughs> <laughs> I never really got that close to the soldiers. Might there, are a couple, there are a couple of cutscenes where you can't help it. Yeah, no, don't recall. And this, and this is before you could just hit start and skip everything. No, you have to manually hit the X button a lot. Pretty much been blocked out of my memory. <laughs> yeah, I don't still, think we, really we know how much you loved the Grandstream Saga. Even though you didn't play it, you just looked at the characters. Blocked out of memory! <laughs> I don't think I'll take this out of him. It's too repressed. Okay. Having said that, I will not. I will also say that, you know, uh, by PS1 standards, it's decent looking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not ugly. 
certainly. Uh, well, and here here's the thing. I mean, it's uh, so. I, in my opinion, if I was to go back and recommend this game, I mean, it, we haven't even talked on some of the some of the other good points, but we sort of did. We talked about the first game, you know, like the mech customization, uh, putting together your own Frankenstein robots is just you know is a lot of fun, and then taking out and see how well it works. The game doesn't it also rank you, Mike, on uh, I think how fast you get through the battles. It yeah, ranks you. Like, yeah, it's not just speed. It's like how much damage you take, how many attacks you need to make, execute, and so forth. How many? How yeah? How many dam? How much damage you average per attack? How many turns you take? Uh, the, I think the the average um, weapon level. It also grades you on that for some reason. <laughs> I mean, does that um, does that actually affect anything? No. Not that I can tell. It's just for bragging rights. It's just for, oh, okay, because, you know, I, I got pretty psyched out by that. I was, like, worried it was going to give me, like, the true ending or not, so I'd go back and redo maps over and over again. So, so, so yeah, I, got just... bronze, I got bronze a bunch of the time because uh, I think my weapon level was either too high or too low, and it knocked me yeah, a bit you know, for that. It's kind of hard to actually, you know, build up weapon level by going after a way to break parts without, you know, causing this to just score to tank, so I tend to just not worry about it myself. Yeah, as far as I can tell, it's just for bragging rights. Uh, and instead of the arena in this one, you get several practice simulator ra- rounds where you know somehow, even though you're in a computer simulation, you're able to take money out of it. Don't, don't ask me how that works. Uh, let's presume online gambling or something. Sure, people people are watching you on forums, and uh, they they like what you do so much that they are willing to pay you for it the same amount as if you really destroyed those monsters again. But it's a good way to get people back into the swing of things, because um, the Emipath, which is the one I played, I don't know why it's the Emipath when her name is Emir. I have to get into that again. Why is her name Emir if people call her Emma? I don't get it. But there are 70 battles in that, and not one of them is likely to take you more than about 45 minutes, because they're pretty short for the most part. You've only got six to nine opponents for the most most of the time. But there are several points where you split into two teams once you finally got eight people, so the fact that you only have four people to take does not mean that you should skimp on the other four. You will need them at some point. So don't leave them behind. Don't give them crappy equipment. Make sure they can kind of take care of themselves a little bit. You will need them. Yeah. Oh, yes, and there's I forgot this wonderful part in the story where you learn how to hack a computer. It, the computer tells you this. Codebreaker once again. Computer getting confused. What the heck? Free access. That is what it says. That is how you hack a computer, everybody. Well, that was easy. Also, when you fail to hack a computer, it will probably tell you whipped cream soda tap dance maniac. But I'm just I'm just giving you what I found in the game. This is what it told me. The amazing things you learn about hacking the computer. Oh yeah, we haven't talked about the internet in Front Mission Three. I was about to say <laughs> yeah, the internet. That's a fairly big thing, which is. They definitely wanted to create this whole sense of a big living world with lots of information about it and big lot of things to explore, but or kind of outside of a linear narrative. But the internet is kind of an interesting version of that. It's interesting, yes. I, I gather it's directly based on how the internet was in its early days, where you have to choose a domain and then it's more like navigating folders inside a hard drive than it is the internet now. Yeah, I mean, you can create quick links, but they're not really the way your default work through it. Um, I only did it a couple of times just because the lo- there aren't long load times in Front Mission 3, not by PS1 standards, but 
if you put them together as you go between places in the net, then it can add up, and generally I just got sick of it. But I did go there once late in the game because I looked at a fact and saw that there's this one super secret Vonzer which I have to follow specific steps to get. And I did, and you know, it's a pretty good Vonzer. It has this amazing beam weapon which takes 15 AP. Oh yeah, we'll have to deal with the action points thing, but it's got amazing accuracy and it's super powerful unless you're dealing with an amazingly powerful enemy. It's probably going to blow off apart with each shot, so it's a good thing to have. That's that's late in the game, though. We're talking the last quarter or so. So anyway, AP action points. Oh yeah, action points. Uh huh. That's really the kind of big innovation of this game, I believe. It's just you know, basically every character has so many points that they have the start of a turn. Well, like it's not only the start of a turn, but I'll get to that. Basically, every time you move one space, it costs one AP. Shooting a machine gun costs four. Shooting a shotgun costs three. Punching costs one, and so on. And basically, every time you move or attack, you get used up. So, you know, you only have so much to spend. But the thing is, just doing your normal action one turn doesn't spend anywhere near all of this. However, you know, you don't refresh necessarily as much as you used up. You only get so much to refresh each turn. And also, countering also costs... I think you get 12 refreshed a turn, no matter what you did throughout that turn. So if you just yeah. moved then and made, say, one attack, then you might get it yeah. all back. Or, get it all back if you, know, if you don't have to do a counterattack. Or if you didn't use a missile, because missiles take, I think, 10 AP. Yeah, missiles can be expensive. But the beam weapon takes 15 AP, so you're not going to be using that quite every turn. The, the, the super secret Vonzer I got near the end. Mm-hmm. In, in an effort yeah. to balance it, which you know makes sense. Mm-hmm. I if, mean, it took, if it only took five, then that would be kind of a breaker. Oh, <laughs> yeah, uh, the thing. Uh huh. I'd say I kind of like the system because it means you don't have to do a lot of choices. I mean, okay, melee weapons kind of suck compared to guns overall because you, overall because you know you have to get close, but you know they're cheap. So if you need to destroy AP, you can just go up and punch something. Or you know if you're close enough, you can always punch to counter to conserve the AP you spend. So. You kind of need to balance your resources of your AP a lot. Nice. Yeah, definitely so, feels yeah. a lot more solid here because you're right. Because uh, your fist is only like one AP or something like that. So it, well, it, if, you're, if you're countering, then you have a base cost to counter, but that's added on to whatever the base cost of the weapon uses. A weapon is, so. yeah, which makes even uh, you know when you look at a shotgun being a four or five, and then you're attacking on another three or four on top of that. It was pretty hard to counter with those, but with the fist, you could get in. You know, a couple of counters if that's what you were primarily using. I think what I usually did a lot was uh, I would have a you know a mech that was your rocket person, but it, it was pretty easy to stick a fist. They were lightweight anyways uh, into one of his off hands, and I, I can't remember if I put his shield in the other. So I mean that way from a distance he was mostly doing his rocket stuff, but if he needed to get a closer counter, that was pretty easy to pull off. Um, so wait, wait. If I'm if I'm trying to sell this game to somebody, uh, you know, in the year 2015, and and trying to take off the rose colored glasses for a minute, I mean, I just think the gameplay is super super solid, and most people like me who love tactical RPGs aren't necessarily, um, you know, jumping into them for the huge 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 awesome story, so that that's not a big uh, issue here. But um, I, I think the 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 two biggest holdups, especially if you play this on a big screen TV, are those PlayStation One graphics. I've always had a problem playing playing old PlayStation One graphics on big screen televisions. They're just they're on uh, back in the old days when we had the CRT televisions. Those provided a natural that, filter to, to and alias, and that's mm-hmm. what I played it on, Phil, just this month. Because, oh, you know, cool. Because I'm either insane or I can't find that a, is. A, 
a, a, a widescreen TV or something. But you know, yeah, that's. I, the... I have played many PS One games. That's this the... is not this is not an ugly PS One game by PS One standards. No, no, but 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 PS One standards are just really really hard to go back to if you've hooked up your PlayStation 3 to a high-def definition television and you stick in the PlayStation 1 disc for the first time, uh, your eyes will, will start to, well, to, to you bleed. Know, you mean people <laughs> like me who just you know bought it off PSN and played it off on my PS3, which is already connected to my HDTV. So. You know, or something along those lines. So, so there's that <laughs> issue. And then the second issue is, uh, you know, especially today, it feels, it feels kind of slow. I got two great answers. For, or I got one answer for both those issues, I should say, which is PSP. I, I kid you not, putting this, I've, and I've said this before with other PlayStation 1 classics, but having it shrunk down to a 3-inch screen, just suddenly that that uh, that 240 by 320 resolution, whatever the hell it is, doesn't really matter that much anymore. And uh, and uh, number two is uh, it, you can suspend anywhere. I mean, it's a perfect on-the-go game. If you're somewhat distracted, you're looking out the car window, whatever you're traveling, and you just want something to relax with, uh, you can play that. And because you can suspend it anywhere, it, it's I, I don't think you could save it in the middle of a battle anyways on a PlayStation. Maybe you could. It's been a while. I but think. At the very least, you can suspend it. <laughs> you, you might be able to on a PlayStation... Like, on the PlayStation 1, I couldn't remember if you could you could do... Uh, I'm pretty sure you can. A, say, a quick save, yeah, in the middle of combat. But, yeah, regardless, yeah, on the PSP, you just flick, it's suspended. And the PSP has a really great suspend feature. It's just the battery rarely dies on that unless you leave it on for, like, five weeks straight. So, uh, yeah, would highly recommend if you've got a PSP... Um, and you're looking to play this for the first time or the fifth time, uh, consider getting, you know, playing that on your PSP versus your 45 inch high definition television. <laughs> Just... Oh, Phil, <laughs> we, we skimmed over this. It's time to tell you how you learn the skills. <laughs> oh, yeah, the are skills. You, are you ready? Oh, yeah, skills are awesome. Okay, you learn them randomly from the Vonzer parts you have equipped. The game never tells you this. You just learn what you, you get a random skill. Of, Applied in battle. You don't know which parts have that skill. Do you know what that means, Phil? I know you love this. Oh, no, not a fact. <laughs> no! Yes! You have to look at a fact to know what parts to equip in order to get the right skill. See, I, uh, I, knew, that, I knew that would make your day. <laughs> yeah, and I think the way... I, I, I don't think I ever figured that out because I, I, I think I just pretty much... I, to me, it was just randomized... It seemed like what what different people got as far as their skills went. So I figured maybe it was just tied to their character. It, it didn't help that I, in my head, I had each of them in set roles. Like, okay, this guy's going to be the one with the shotgun machine gun combo, and that's all he's going to do the entire game, pretty much. I'm not going to like suddenly throw rockets on his shoulders or anything. And then I had the one dude who is the rocket person, you know. So that probably fell right into that hole. Well, no wonder yeah, he got good a- rocket skills. <laughs> Yeah, the thing, like, you know, different machine mech parts are suited to different kinds of roles pretty well, so they tend to give you skills associated with those roles, so it it, it works out generally. Cool. You know, just you, know, you can't find control without knowing the fact. You know, hey, at least you have online guides for it. And just like in the first game, if you're going melee range, then guns take priority over fists, which does make it's that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Of course, some of those fists get to be pretty powerful, and if if the enemies later on connect with those fists, they might be able to take out an entire part by the, with one hit. Yeah, I mean, fist... Uh, so so most of the, like, the shotgun, the machine gun spreads its damage over the body. The rocket and the fist, uh, they concentrate their damage all at one part, and, and that has a strength and a weakness. On one hand, 
uh, as you were as we were talking about before, it, you, for the most part, you really can't zoom in and kill off one body part. Now, you do get skills randomly, apparently, in this game where randomly your character might zoom in on the legs. It'll be like a leg skill. Is I think it's probably aptly called legs. But, uh, you know, when the leg skill kicks in, assuming he has it, then he will focus all of his fire uh, on the legs. But that's... That's extreme. Well, that's that's pretty random. If you got a fist weapon, all your damage every single time will concentrate on one weapon uh, into one part, assuming that it connects. Uh, the good that's the good news. The bad news is if it connects with a part that only has let, let's say fifty hit points left, you've just wasted a bunch of damage potential because you would have done three hundred points on a full you know health body part but because you hit the body yeah. part that was down to sixty hit points. You've wasted two hundred forty points of damage potential. So, yeah, it was, it, you know, so a lot of times when firing like a rocket or if I'm purposely going after somebody with a fist weapon, I'm trying to pick somebody who doesn't have a, you know, three weak parts on them that are about to die anyways. I'll try to save those guys for the shotgun people. Or if you've got a machine gun, because those kind of randomly spread over. Yeah. So, you know, no. I, 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 ba- I barely used rifle. Did you? No. Our rifles the ones that have like a, a, they're slightly longer range, but they only hit one part. Right. But they don't have the ammunition limit? They don't have the ammunition limit, and you can counter with them, unlike missiles. But but they're pretty high cost. Like, I think it was like 6 AP or something like that to shoot them? Something about right. Were they high yeah. cost? Yeah. No, I, I can't remember uh, Recollect really getting into those a whole lot. But And, and I only had one guy who used flamethrowers, which... I didn't use him too much either. Mm-mm. No, but regardless of uh, you know, regardless of how you took off, you know, took off a body part. Uh, but if you did manage to zoom in with the leg skill, or yeah, fired off a rocket that shot off someone's arm, it, it was always gratifying. That that was just that was just fun to watch. It was fun for my friends to watch on the big screen. We love watching body parts get blown off of robots. Or in the case of legs, it doesn't really show them getting blown off. It just shows them like having crackling electricity as the robot kind of looks like it's powering down from the waist below, and it just yeah, you know, so yeah. And then instead of clearly defined, well, it's clearly defined as PlayStation One graphics get legs. You can just kind of make out some scrap metal down there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I don't know. I I just felt like it was a pretty pretty solid meaty uh game that a, uh, that silly skill system aside i just felt like in so many other ways it did a good job of of being above the surface on exactly how the the rules and the gameplay worked wasn't there also a terrain advantage if you had height and stuff did that affect your chances to hit and certainly line of sight did line of sight did terrain and- didn't have many direct effects although you know if you're trying to hit somebody who's on a roof and you're directly under it, then it'll give you a big X to show you that, no, you can't hit that. And it won't even let you take the shot. Yeah, so that's uh, another place where the 3D graphics really came into handy. You didn't you didn't have uh, have that before Front Mission 3 that I can recall, where the, the, the terrain and the altitude and your line of sight from your Vonzer to the enemies, uh, when you would when you first go to take the shot um, and you highlight the enemy, it'll show this little arrow <laughs> Uh, animated arrow pointing from you to the enemy. And if it's clipping through something solid, yeah, it'll put a red X in front of it. Or in certain cases, I think it would just dock your chances to hit, right? It, it sometimes did that. I specific, I remember a lot of trees that were really annoying because mm. it would give me a red X. What the? I'm, I'm aiming a shotgun. How is a shotgun not going to get something through this tree? But no, it... <laughs> You can't argue against the red X. It's the it it's the tree of steel that can't stand up to a gunshot from a little man. 
Yeah, yeah, it'll stop your Vonzer's uh, rifle, but uh, shotgun, but it, it won't stop that that little guy on the ground with the pistol. No, and once you do hit it, whether you punch it, use a shotgun, use a missile, you can use any of those, and the tree will behave exactly the same. It will just crash on over. Yeah, I've certainly not suggested. Like, I mean, there was a game I played years later, um, Silent uh, Secret Cert. No, I'll have to look it up real fast. It was on the PC and uh tactical tactical rpg um deal um s2 i believe for short but um so here it is silent storm s2 silent storm and you can get off a of gog it's got five stars from 586 voters really really fun game um but this came out years later where they really could get the physics more down so they make a lot more sense in that particular game and there are a few robots in that one as well by the way mx and tanks and things like that on a total aside but uh well, i, I, I want to praise this for having a good variety of enemies but you never yeah get to, you never get too used to any one you, enemy type because they keep coming up with new ones yeah for i mean for this time that this was coming out in 2000 uh it was pretty pretty cutting edge and yeah the the mech units talk about wasn't it the final boss or next to final boss it was like a freaking spider mech I did, I have it wasn't. Just... It wasn't even necessarily a boss. It, in several maps, you get these gigantic spider mechs that mostly yeah. pepper you with missiles because they're little jerks. Or no, that's they're kind of a jerks. thing in the series. But and they, they frankly them. reminded me of the tripods from War of the Worlds. <laughs> Darn spider mechs! So, oh my gosh, totally, totally love this game. And uh, and and there's no reason it's on the PlayStation Network. You can grab it for ten bucks or six. Six or ten—that's pretty much the price of every old game on the PlayStation Network from that era—and uh, and enjoy that because it's it's a lot of fun. What if you want the original physical copy? No, you don't. No, I'm pretty sure that's, you don't. that's what I played. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think anybody else is doing that, but you, Mike. I'm pretty pretty sure that's just you. Front mission. Front Mission 3. But, of course, I know that somewhere we have a listener who just absolutely only wants to, to collect the uh, the box. and Well, the case in this case, the CD case, the jewel case with the instructions and everything. And they can grab that for the same price they can grab the other one. $130 brand new, factory sealed. <laughs> uh, if you just want something that's a little bit acceptable, you're looking anywhere between $17 and $45. Bucks. So, for the physical copy... And you know, for PS One RPGs, that's about standard. Yep, 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 yep. So I definitely check it out. It, like I said, it's it was just ahead of its time. It's still a, I still think it's a fun game. It is a little on the slow side now. You you can turn off. I believe you can turn off the animations, Mike. Right to make those battles go faster. You might. I I don't think I actually tried it because you, you just take away so much of the. They, they are pretty. Dy- they are pretty dynamic animations. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Um. But if you're just dying to finish off the game or something, I'm, I'm pretty sure they can be turned off for a faster experience. Uh, I think I did it and then turn it right back on. Was my was my memory there? Yeah, there's a few frustrating parts, like the the uh, missions where you're on the ground. And you, if the enemy gets lucky, say a bunch of missiles strike somebody's body in right in a row, and you lose somebody in the first couple of turns, then that kind of sucks. You. You may just have to restart that battle, and there's nothing you can really do about it. Yeah, there's definitely uh, an RNG factor to it. And one of the things that I, I – I, same thing in Front Mission 4, 
Um, the AI is not incredibly challenging, but generally you're outnumbered. So, it, and the way the AI is not really where it's lacking is it doesn't really chase your ass down. It usually waits till you get pretty darn close, and then it reacts to that. Um, so, no, in most of the battles, you can count on some of the enemies, the ones farthest away from you, not acting for a while. Yeah. But I know, especially even, even if they have missiles, so they theoretically could be shooting at you this whole time. But I'm fine with that. If they were shooting at me the whole time, it would be a, not, a lot nastier. I was about to say, and that that was like in Front Mission Four, especially. And we'll get to that. But it's like if if all those guys actually played with the brain and saw you coming, it would just be game over. So I'm okay with the <laughs> fact that you know there's this uh, limitation because the game was challenging enough with that. Uh, especially if you're trying to get some of the better grades like I was trying to because I thought that was going to lead to a good ending. I hate, for the record, I hate good, bad endings, boys and girls. Okay? Because I, I never know I'm getting a good bad without going through a fact, and I hate facts. I mean, I like, by the way, I, I, if you're a fact maker, I love you. I just, I, I hate games that force me to use you to get through them. Saving that for later. Okay, so from Mission 3, go out and, and grab it. Awesome. Okay. All right, are we going straight on, or we gotta we go, go back? Got, we gotta go back. Where, where, where were you going to go back to? I can cover my experience with Front Mission Two real fast. <laughs> okay, real fast. Front Mission Two. I attempted to play this, and I discovered that my Swap Magic disc, which allows me to play import PS2 titles, did not seem to work for PlayStation One. So I attempted to put an emulator on a computer because I do have the disc, and I think it was working. But then the, that particular computer had a horrible day, and it had to be restored and. I don't know right now. I tried to play Front Mission 2, and I'd kind of like to someday, but here's one thing that makes it clear you want to get the ult- the ultimate hits or whatever the later version of Front Mission 2. You can turn off the combat animations. And why do you want to do that? Because the combat animations in Front Mission 2 are much longer than in Front Mission 3, and they come with 30-second load times for every Ouch. single one of them. Ouch. So, Front Mission 2 has a very good rep. Aside from the load times, it is considerably more complex than Front Mission 3. It ha- In addition to the action point system, it has something called an honor system where teamwork is necessary to kill some of the enemies. And, yeah, it's apparently just a shame that it was never considered for release overseas, even if that probably would have been the original version where you couldn't turn off the load, the combat animations and thus were stuck with horrible load times. Sad. And as long as we're on the PlayStation, I must mention Front Mission Alternative, which was a Front Mission real-time strategy. And beyond that, I just want to mention that it exists and it probably has a translation patch by now. And if you want to see what Front Mission as an RTS looks like, this is your chance. Of course, it's not in English unless you find the patch, but uh, no. Is it a patch with an ISO? I don't know. Anyway, Front Mission Alternative. PlayStation 1 RTS in the Front Mission series. Has a decent rep. There. 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 So let's do this. Let's go on to Front Mission 4. Uh, This was developed by Square Enix Product Development Division 6 and published by Square Enix, released on the PlayStation 2 in North America on June 15th, 2004. A single-player tactical RPG experience, unless you hand the controller around the room while you're playing, then it becomes a multiplayer experience really quick. Like Front Mission 1? Like Front Mission 1 and (laughs) 3. Okay, 
So, so I was super excited. I mean, you guys heard how much enthusiasm I had for for Front Mission Three, and, uh, and I told you recently this counts as a JRPG. You could have been playing this in July, and you started to. Uh, well, yeah, I, I've been playing this. I've been playing okay. this. But don't get me off track. I'm going back. This is the past experience. Why didn't I play it and beat it before? So, so this, uh, the you know, so this is coming out by Square Enix, and, and I'm super excited. I saw the cover art, which is really nicely done. I love that artist, whoever it is. The artwork for the characters, I just love that style. It's like this hand painted uh, style, and every you know, very realistically looking. Unlike that horrid picture of the guy with 18 chins you showed me earlier, <laughs> uh, that looks like a sick ass well, cartoon. Well, Nathan, as long as we're talking about the art, does it look at all? Similar to any saga art, would you very say? similar to Romantic Saga remakes. Art. Okay, that that occurred to me, so I wanted to float it by you. Yeah, yeah I need to double check the actual artists, but it looks very similar to the art from uh, the Romantic Saga remake. And I think Unlimited Saga, but I'm not certain. I played that one. Last. I, I, I can understand Unlimited Saga memories not wanting to flood into your brain. <laughs> no, not really. So, um, so I was, I guess I was getting a little overhyped because. I, I enjoyed Front Mission 3 so much. I'm imagining um, uh, the dynamics, uh, animation, and the graphics, and everything just being a huge step on the PlayStation 2, the way Final Fantasy X blew my mind, um, even after playing Final Fantasy IX. Uh, Final Fantasy X was just such a huge graphical update. Uh, and with the characters and everything on the front of the box, I'm thinking, this is going to be a Square Enix. This is going to be a, a good story. It's going to be a deep story. So I'm going to I'm gonna have my cake and eat it, too. I'm going to have this really deep, awesome tactical experience with an awesome story. And uh, and just these updated graphic visuals are going to blow my mind. And I think I got one out of three on that. And, and, and that's why I never really got through the game. I played it for about a dozen hours or so. And it sat on the – it went quickly back on the shelf. And this thing hit the bargain bin relatively quickly. Um and there's a couple of reasons for that. And that also might explain why Front Mission 5 never came across the Pacific. Never came, never came across. So, uh, uh, Mike, do you even want to attempt the uh, the plot on this one? I think I, I'll take the plot for this. All right, go for it. Go for this it. Is, you know, the Front Mission game I've played the most, so I might as well talk about the one to talk about its plot. Um, basically, this game is interesting because it has two parallel storylines. With two different main characters, and you know that's one thing I really like about it. But you know, we've got one: the story of Daryl, the story of a USN soldier stationed in the middle of a kind of messy situation in the civil war in, I believe, Argentina, or at least somewhere around there, South America. I can't remember exactly which country down there, but you know, some poor, un- unfortunate South American country which is embroiled in civil war. And the other story takes place: the story of of Elsa. Uh, Kind of a hotshot young French woman who's kind of been assigned to an elite unit in the EC, the European Community, which is the kind of European block of the different major political blocks. This all takes place I, somewhere around Front Mission One. I can't remember if it's a little bit before, or a little bit after, but it's that part of the timeline. So we're seeing a lot of Front Mission One mechs running around, and well, there's basically the two different plot lines are well, they're they only barely intersect. The, the two main characters only ever talk like a couple of times by long distance phone calls and that's only much later in the story so the way they connect isn't very obvious at first but the main way they connect is that Zafter is a villain again 
for both plot lines, in fact. Um, basically, Elsa's story is basically is a matter of as you know, running around doing various things as part of an elite special unit task force for working for the EC. She's called in to help defend a resource base. They, they love using the word resource for this. So just that this resource in Poland, I believe it is, in which basically they're producing all of these resources that everyone needs, and never specifying what kind of resource, but. When you know suddenly they're attacked by a mysterious invading force, and you have to then start investigating who's behind this, what's going on, and try to what happened. Okay, that that was a really mysterious force. Oh, I think uh, Nathan uh, dropped there for a second. Hold okay. on a second while we uh, attempt to get him back on the call. Yeah, because I, I can't help with this. <laughs> I haven't played for yet. All I can do is read from the box and the manual for you. We need to cast a resurrection spell on him. Wait, we're, we're talking about front mission. We don't have resurrection spells here. You you have a part. <laughs> you have a, a repair part. That's it. Uh, yeah, you've got the repair pack. This is the backpack with repair packs. Sorry, where was I in the explanation? There, there was a, a mysterious plot, I think. Of... Yeah, mysterious attack on the Poland resource base. Okay. Basically, you kind of had to spend a lot of time investigating who's behind this. Turns out it's Zaftra. Who knew? Um, basically, they're just trying to blow up Poland's resources base so they can increase the price of their own resources for export. Um, the whole process for figuring this out is surprisingly convoluted, involving kind of a European Special Forces unit based out of a German castle, in fact being traitors, who were originally trained in Zaftra and kind of been working as double agents for the whole time. Um... Are they actually called Germans, or are they? Does the country get renamed some way? I think most of the European countries still have their old names. <laughs> just, they don't share the poor fate of Zaftra of being renamed. Um, Lucky uh, them. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's it's sim- kind of it's broad strokes. It's a pretty simple plot, but it you know it still has twists and turns here and there. Most of it's a big excuse for a lot of fights, and it has some fun fights. And the other side. The other plot line's a little less typical. You see, in the beginning of the Daryl plot line, he's just basically an ordinary soldier stationed out in the middle of the jungle. When all of a sudden, uh, you know, a plane comes crashing out of the sky, he and his buddies go investigate, and inside they find a giant crate full of gold. It seems that the local kind of incompetent evil dictator has basically siphoned off all of the wealth of the country into giant shipments of pure gold and they basically lock themselves into gain control of one so the first thing they do is basically go AWOL stealing the gold and run off into their dreams of being rich and well that's... Th- then we know all those infomercial guys are actually r- right on because gold is going to be the foundation of the economy once more <laughs> well gold is always going to be valuable at least not for great you know purpose of monetary not it's not necessarily going to be the basis for our economy but it's certainly always going to have some value and you know it's certainly valuable enough a giant shipping crate full of it's going to be worth a lot and these guys are perfectly happy to you know just abandon their posts to soldiers and go make it rich however they have a side problem that you know they need to sneak the gold out and escape the country and they run into a lot of things as they slowly find themselves stumbling across giant Zaftran spider robots rampaging through cities and getting themselves involved with the local rebel for- guerrilla forces and you know they kind of go through this turn so they, they spend all this time trying, just trying to get the gold out and get the resources they need to sneak out uh, but they slowly befriend the local people who are suffering from the very dictator whose gold they're stealing and so forth that 
ultimately they help basically liberate the entire country and save the day and thus to get the blessings of the of the local friends who let them leave with the gold it's it's not the most serious or deep plot but I find it kind of fun one it's just it's a pretty unique RPG plot, certainly. Just, you know, let's try to steal this gold and make it rich and abandon mm-hmm. our lives as soldiers. That is pretty unique. I, I do understand that Front Mission 4 is generally not that highly regarded, though. It's not dumped upon so much as people just kind of uh, look at it, say, eh, it, was, it was okay, and then kind of move on. Is I mean, it's it's hard for me to really complain about it. It's the first Front Mission game I really sat down and fully played. First one I owned, and I, you know, I enjoyed it. I had fun with it. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's hard for me to really complain about it. Yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's a good solid game. I mean, it's at its core, it's front mission. You still got your mechs, you're putting them together. Uh, you get to mix and match parts. The action point system from three is there. We've got some other mechanics we'll probably get to. Um, so they've added to that. I mean, at its heart and its core, it's it's still a, a fr- it is a front mission game and is enjoyable. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, from the perspective of just comparing to other tactical RPGs, it's, you know, it does feel a little limiting because, well, the char- of all your characters are a bit straight-jacketed. You don't get a lot of ability to mix and match and customize your party and your different strategies. You, there's basically one strategy, one team you're given, one strategy you're given, and, well, if there's ways to break out of that, those ways are very difficult. So it doesn't give the freedom of, you know, really building the party and such, which you know I really like in kind of these kinds of games. But so it's not—I wouldn't call it great, even as a person who doesn't hate the game. But it's still not a bad game, and still has a lot of fun little quirks. Yeah, I mean, and as I was saying, for me, it was just that my expectations, because I had played three, were were at a certain point, and then I'm adding to that based on I'm thinking it's PlayStation Two. It's got the Square Enix game. The artwork's got me thinking that the story's gonna be you know like it's, it's it's definitely for me it was one of those cases of my expectations was thinking this was gonna be a like a 4.5 or a 5.0 game and it ended up probably clocking and let me look at the one of our reviewers gave it a 3.5 which is a, a, which is at the end of the day is what it really is but for me it ended up being this point because my my expectations were too high um they, 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 and I think you mentioned this earlier, Nathan. Um, it might have been off the air uh, when we were talking about uh, the budgets. And yeah, uh, it's just generally like this. Unlike Front Mission Three, like it starts with one of my the most beautiful CG scenes I saw in the entire PlayStation PlayStation era, with the whole flight through the Okinawa Ocean City, kind of with the sh- gleaming buildings and the, uh, the elaborate scenes. This game doesn't have that kind of budget. It doesn't have these all the fancy scenes, the, the fancy CG sequences. It doesn't have you know the kind of more complex directing and such. It it's simpler in a lot of its visual presentation, even though it's you know. It's got a nice polish. The mechs look great when they move and such, but you know, cinematically, it's only got a handful of really awesome scenes. So that some, like the attack on the Polish resource facility are pretty well elaborate ones, but they're all done more in engine. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling here, but the basic thing is, it's you know, it's overall the overall quality of the PS2 is higher and it benefits from that. But it, overall, it's not as Square Enix didn't put as much resource of their own energy into it like they did for version three. Yeah. Yeah, and and so it, it clearly didn't it didn't live up to some of the 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 square again it's a square enix standard I'm I'm measuring it against the story and the graphics, but but it is very solid. It's just you know if it was any other publisher, I would have you know bought this game, played it, and probably enjoyed it and been like yay you know. But um, 
I, especially if I had not played Front Mission 3 already. And I suppose this is a telling statement of how the times have changed, because what do you think of Square Enix releases now? <laughs> um, well, uh, <laughs> we're not talking about uh, that game no, no, we're not. No, just this was a fairly early Square Enix game before Square Enix was associated with what it is now. Oh, and I, here's the back of the box. Let's see what it says. Dominate the future. Command your giant mechanized forces in massive, detailed urban battlefields. Pilot a variety of Vonzer combat mechs, because they have to put that in there in case you don't know what a Vonzer is, and customize them for combat, repair work, airstrikes, and more. Encounter two compelling intertwined storylines featuring characters with real voiceovers. How's the voice acting, by the way? Not bad. I mean... I don't know how the, the actual quality of the different European accents, but like the entire part, one sort of thing, basically there's a lot of thick accents being used in here. They're probably not very good accents for their countries, <laughs> but other than that, it's okay. I, I mean, it's normal video game voice acting. Don't know what to Fair. say about okay. it. Okay. I mean, there there were what, maybe a total of ten voiced lines in Front Mission Three, and they were all in cutscenes. That, that sounds like about that. right from my memory. And they're all in Japanese, not localized. No, some of them were in what sounded like Russian to me. Yeah, okay, vaguely Russian. <laughs> Still, it's like they weren't, you know, like, they... <laughs> they didn't think it was worth the effort, and they were probably right. Yeah. So, anyway. so, um... Do, 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 do. Oh, so, combat, pretty pretty similar to, to, to 3. Yeah, um, similar to 3 with some major additions that are so that worth noting. Link, link system. The link system, basically... You can, for every character, you can associate two offensive links and two defensive, if I'm getting the numbers correctly. And, you know, basically, when you attack, the people who you've offensive linked to get a chance to attack alongside you, doing kind of continuing attack, basically, you can, so you can do a giant shot barrage of three different mechs shooting at once. And whenever you're shot at, the two people who are defensive links will shoot to the person who had shot you. So, basically, you, you can... You can also set these links up so they're not necessarily reciprocal. So if you have offensive link one way, it doesn't have to be back the other way. So you can create this complex chain of one person attacks, the follow-up other some two people, then the next person attacks, followed up, and so on. However, there's a couple caveats to this. First off, you know, chain attacks use AP, I believe. Second, once you've moved, you can no longer chain it, do a link attack with someone else. So you need to really think very carefully about the order of, uh, of actions and so forth, how it plays into all of this. And uh, also, enemies can also have offensive and defensive links, to, so you can have giant squads of three versus three mechs all shooting each other. However, the problem with that is that enemies don't actually link all that often, and they don't do it in a very smart way. So generally speaking, links are mostly the advantage you have over the enemy. But you know, used well, you can do tons of damage and destroy enemies very quickly. So the battles as a whole can be a bit faster and a bit more exciting than Formation 3 fights, mostly thanks to the system. However, you know, because your parties are very fixed from very early on, your links are basically always going to work the same way for the whole length of the game, which kind of is the problem with this game, that it doesn't change a whole lot once your abilities all unlock. But I get, links are pretty fun. They sound that uh, way. Yeah, I like links. They, they 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 get your mind going in different combos you can set up. I like uh, mm-hmm. I like games where I can set up uh, my own combos. And yeah, it's just you know there's a certain visceral fun in just watching all these mechs just shooting each other all at the same time. It's, you know, it's big gunfights. Um, another major addition is that there's a lot of special equipment this game adds over compared to three, like healing packs. I, or, I believe are added. 
Uh, plus, you know, stuff like radio packs, radar packs, um, supply packs, well, a lot of different things. So, for example, with a radar pack, basically all the squares around the radar unit basically count as in being in range for one of your missiles. Even if you're you know, way outside the normal range of the missile, you can fire a missile halfway across the map and as long as it's you know, near the guy with the radar map, radar pack. Radio pack lets you basically... It's like casting magic in another RPG. It's You call in your flying support craft and either bombs the enemies or drops down special little coatings to kind of buff your, your units or just resupplies your guys. And Well, there was that one battle in Front Mission 3 where you eventually got to command where somebody was going to bomb, but that was just one and it was an NPC. Yeah, this one actually turns into a whole game mechanic around both rounds using the guy with the radio pack. Oh, there's also EMP packs, which can be used to basically jam enemy equipment and shut, debuff enemy max. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't shut them down completely, it just uh, debuffs them? I think there's a couple different options based on what the pack does. I think including up to temporary paralysis and shutdown, but a lot of okay. other things just like jamming the accuracy as well. Makes sense. Uh, and, uh, well, and also, of course, repair packs. The thing is, like most of these are only on the Elsa's route because you know Elsa is the elite, the squad of elite, well-funded, it's it, it kind of top-of-the-line experimental soldiers for working for the EC. So they've got all the fancy toys. They've got the aircraft carrier ferrying them around that they can call in for airstrikes and so forth. Daryl's group is basically the basically a bunch of AWOL soldiers and rebels. So they don't get any of those. In fact, they don't even get missiles. However, they do get grenades and rockets and bazookas. Oh yeah, grenades in three. They they behave differently than missiles. We didn't mention them at all. Yeah, missiles are long range. You know, they hit long range with great accuracy. Grenades are they basically they're an area weapon. Big area weapon. Very heavy. They take even more AP than missiles, and they don't discriminate. I distinctly remember several times when the enemy would freely use. Grenades, and even though I took some damage, it actually helped me because they would end up blowing up one of their allies. Yeah, things like this can happen. Be careful with grenades. This is generally good advice that everyone should listen to, I think. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And did you mention the, the EMP? Did I miss that? Yeah, I mentioned EMP. Okay. Yeah, so uh, it kind of feels like it kind of feels like magic. I, I, on one hand, I know that um, it was interesting after playing Front Mission Three for so long. Um, where once, uh, you know, once you, I, I don't remember too many ways if you could uh, heal it all in Front Mission Three. Uh, it's certain. It seems items. I think maybe like I, some items. Yep. Yeah, but you couldn't bring back a part, right? You could. You could. Well, you you had to make the choice. Are you going to carry items, or are you going to carry something that raises your horsepower so that you can put more stuff on your bonzer? And you you can't do both. So you can either have a couple of weapons, or you can settle. I can only have one weapon and a bunch of items. So, so it might have been that I just chose not to because of my play style at the time. But I know in, in Front Mission Four, when I was playing through there, I remember distinctly having a character who pretty much could heal every round. It wasn't. Yeah. I don't think it was a, a consumable item he was using. No, just your repair packs are basically infinite use. You've got a, both teams have one person whose their main job is to heal the other people. So you've got a team medic who you know fixes up your bonzers for you, and that does change the play style quite a lot because it, you know you can last through any number of fights and such. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it was interesting because they also, as an interesting note, they actually brought this back into Front Mission first with the USN campaign. Is that that game gives you repair packs in the alternate campaigns? 
Even permission mm. first is modified to have these later on. So interesting, um, and and definitely how you use uh, some of the items uh, could certainly uh, help you out. Some of, I think one of the things I did appreciate was, um, I mean, like I said, it's a front mission game. It definitely is good. So don't think I'm all down on this because I'm not. I think the three point five score that we've given it is very is a very good score. It means it's a good game, not super yeah, it's awesome. Pretty perfect like, score. It's a yeah, but it's a, a, a three point five from us. Is the equivalent of what uh, an eight point five a nine from certain other sites? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's like a three is an average RPG, and we like RPGs. So. Yeah, yeah. So I think a three point five is a good RPG. Like, and there's some satisfying uh, tactics to be had there. Like, I remember one one uh, combat I did. It was early on where uh, I was just getting my butt uh, kicked, and the way the scenario starts off where you got some enemies on one side, you're on another, and in the middle is one or two of these NPCs who are about to be killed by the bad guys. And the first time I played, the two NPCs got blown up, and then my team basically got run over. On the second playthrough, I'm like, okay, let me just try to change up my tactics this time. And this time, I got my medic dude um, to the NPC in time and healed him up, and the guy ended up tanking for me. Like, And I had to keep healing him to keep him going, but he ended up taking all the abuse from the enemy, and leaving my Vonzers to be the offense. And uh, and and I didn't lose anybody, so it was it was it was satisfying coming up with a different tactic and going from completely wiping on the battle to completely dominating. But uh, let's talk. Is there anything else y'all want to talk about before we get to the price? Uh, well, the skill system. This one doesn't mm-hmm. have the randomly learned skills based off Wanzer parts from three. <laughs> Instead, you kind of can uh... <laughs> kind of spend resources to upgrade very along various upgrade trip paths. That it's built up your character's sixteen skills. However, you know it's very cheap to upgrade the skills characters basically come with. That you know, if the guy who's like for example a rifleman, he's you know it's very easy to keep him being a rifleman. It's very hard to teach him anything else. So you know he's really easy for him to learn all the cool rifle skills, like the way to kneel down, brace himself for more accurate shots. But something like I mean, giving him a shotgun, it's kind of a lost cause unless you're willing to really spend go out of your way, which is kind of hard. And so I mean, you can maybe teach him to use a bazooka. Maybe it's a little easier for him, but uh, you're kind of lost. There's a lot of cool skills, but you're kind of locked into using the the kind of style your characters start with. I mean, there's a wide variety unless of Unless you're willing to put an awful lot of effort into changing it, right? Yeah, unless you want to put an awful lot of effort, and even then you're going to... It It can just be really tricky to use various things. Like, honestly, like it's really hard to find a good person to use a bazooka in this game. No one really starts using one, so it's kind of hard to you know find a person, like, especially on Elsa's team. But like, maybe if you switch over your missile guy into being bazookas, but then you give up, like, the main missile guy in the entire game to use a weapon which isn't quite as good as missiles. So, it's hard. On the other hand, you know, skills are kind of cool and fun, and you can do some cool stuff with them, and so... Uh, it's just... It's the kind of thing where, you know, it doesn't really matter on your first playthrough, but it does kind of make later playthroughs a little less interesting. That's all. And this one, you're going through the two stories more or less intermittently instead of making a choice at the beginning or... You don't make a choice at the beginning. You just kind of... You, you go through part of one, then through part of the next, then part of another one, then part of the next, in right. a kind of very linear way. So th- there's not necessarily as much replay value with, your, with you getting a whole bunch of new stuff, right? No, sadly. Okay. Although, th- how long is the, the core game? It's fairly lengthy. I can't remember, but I wouldn't be surprised by... Like, 60 hours. 
Yeah, that's that's longer than three or one. But then again, you can play through the other storyline of three and one, and uh, quite a bit more. Yeah. So anyway, it, it it seems to have not a very high reputation nowadays. I mean, Manny Manny, who was not able to be with us tonight, said his official statement is: Front Mission Three is cool. Front Mission Four sucks, and Front Mission Five should be here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think. <laughs> Front Mission 4 suffers too much from being after 3, which is like the big defining entry in the series for, you know, people in the U.S. outside of Japan. Which is, you know, and, you that, know that makes sense. Unless mm-hmm. you were a hardcore importer, then you didn't play anything before. Yeah, you didn't play any of the other one, unless you're an importer, and it's a pretty damn good one. And, you know, then it's stuck before 5, which everyone it looked cool, but we could never play, so it has to hold itself against, you know, this imagination of this amazing game, which we never got. Yeah, and yeah, so, exactly. And it's kind of blamed for that. So it it's a very it's a, solid game, boys and girls. I mean, I yeah, I, it's a solid fun is, game, but it's just stuck in. If you like tactical RPGs and you're not super hung up on having the deepest, most awesome story, which you, you really, I, I can't think of too many tactical RPGs that ever brought a tear to my eye. Um, then then you need to go and and play this game because it, it really is that the tactical. The tactical combat stuff, the stuff that's out of the hood, the stuff that matters the most in tactical RPGs, it's there and it's good. Yeah, it's like you know, it's got some well-designed battles, and you need to think your way through them. So, it, I mean, you don't have a lot of great customization, but it doesn't matter because you know there's some interesting fights in there that can't don't get easy. Yeah, the the um the one uh, yeah the one thing I remember I say this is really good, but here's here's another little negative on Phil's chart. The so the graphics definitely they're they're a step up from obviously the PlayStation One, but there's they're definitely not. You're going to be your Final Fantasy. T- I mean, it's just one of the things that kind of bothered me just a little bit was when you're customizing your your Vonzer, I was excited to find out that I could do different colors, but the colors all seem kind of like I don't know why this is like the easiest thing for them to do, but the colors seem to me to be washed out like. Your choices yeah, are pink, grayish pink, slightly less grayish pink, and all oh, well, whitish pink. This improves because you unlock colors as you go through the game, and you can get bolder colors as you do so, I think. However, yeah, your early options are kind of muted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was just a little weird thing. Weird. But, but uh, you know, being able to customize the colors at least is like, Still get fun. to put your legs, you still get to put different legs on them. Yeah, yeah, I still think that's awesome. That's one thing. Like you have a, a mech that has two legs. Oh, now he's got four. Now he's got treadmills. That was awesome. Uh, and I, but uh, on the flip side, I love. If I haven't said this before, I love the artwork. Like when the characters are talking and their portraits there, I love. I could just stare at their portraits. They're just so well done. Yeah, the characters have you know, it's good art and good designs, so it's hard to complain. The uh, did do you have an opinion about the voice, the voice acting? Yeah, it's, I think you already gave it. But I gave it. It's it's voice acting. It's you now exactly what you expect from video game voice acting. Except with thicker accents than normal, so... Which well, are we're de- questionable. We are dealing with Eastern Europeans. It is absolutely necessary to exaggerate our accent in order to communicate our original location to you filthy con- capitalist pigs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so the, uh, so you can grab this game for the whopping price of 75 cents. Seriously? Yeah, there's a copy right here, 75 cents. Of course, if you... Is that with shipping? That, no, you have to pay for that separately. Um, it's like 4.95. Uh, if, uh, if you want it, uh, in the box, brand new factory sealed, $16. It's, you know, a bargain, actually. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's an easy way to round out part of your uh, collection. And, and hey, I'm a collector, and I've got I've got my RPG section. I've got my uh, strategy, which includes strategy RPGs for me, because that's console strategy games are strategy RPGs. And then I've got my action section. But in my strategy section, it would not be complete without Front Mission Four. And it's right there along with uh, some of the other ones that didn't exactly hit the top sales like Eternal Poison and stuff like that. Front Mission 4 is better than that. So go out and get it. It's a lot of fun. Um, let's see here. I, You know what? And this is the thing. I mean, in a lot of people's eyes, the series was beginning to slip a little bit. It was beginning to take a few steps back. It was. It, it had gone through, uh, you know, it was number four or so on the iterations. It needed to evolve. No. Yes. Uh, yes. It to. needed. Hold, hold it. Let, let's let's mention Front Mission Five first because I do have it. I'm going to play it sometime. As soon so as you I want to like... mention it because you haven't played it, but you're going to play yes, it. Thank you. Please delay <laughs> evolution. Front Mission Five: Scars of the War. Well, we have to mention this because this was the major fruit of the Front Mission Project funding. So this was the game that kind of links all the others together. It's one gigantic. It takes place over a lengthy time scheme. I gather it takes in the eras of all the other games. And if you look at pictures from it, uh, well, you're not... It's real... Yeah, I watched a Let's Play, and it was really pretty. I think it definitely uh, helps get over how Front Mission 4 was not particularly impressive to look at. And... <clears throat> well, Front Mission games are pretty easy to play, even if you don't speak Japanese, because the menus remain mostly in English, so that's a friendly asset. And it apparently incorporates lots of concepts throughout the series. It's got linking again. It's got characters who actually obey one of several types. I, I, I looked at a fact a little bit so that I could know what, what I was talking about with the game, and the how they behave in a link depends upon their type. If they're completely aggressive, then they'll keep going until they have no AP left. If they're defensive, then they'll stop at half AP, things like that. So it adds quite a bit to the combat aspect. And, of course, we didn't get it across the ocean. There are many reasons why that could be. It could be that Front Mission 4 didn't sell very well. It could be that Square, by not releasing all of the earlier games, or at least enough of them so that all of the references to the early games would be intelligible, realized it would be a difficult sell. Um, it could just be that you know, Square Enix is too focused on Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts to really care about other franchises. I, I would never suggest, Nathan. That's completely beside the point. We we know that Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts can never have enough attention, right? <laughs> As nope, witness all never, the people who, spe who feverishly speculate on Kingdom Hearts 3. Wow. Look who's going to be in it. Wow. Anyway, I will play it. I... I I need to set aside a serious amount of time because playing an import on my PS2 requires generally that I keep the thing running for a while just because getting the game going in the first place is such a pain in the butt. I don't want to have to go through it again, so I keep the system on. But I, one day, RP Gamer will have a review. Most likely from me because I'm the, I seem to be the only one who seriously plays tactical games in Japanese. And there's one other, let's mention, just because it happened. It's called Front Mission Online and... Yeah, it was on Windows and the PS2, and it was an MMO in the Front Mission universe, which was apparently really well-balanced and has been discontinued, so you can never play it again. And, yeah, isn't that nice to know that Square Enix cared so much about it overseas that it never even thought about 
bringing the, the MMO over. Isn't that nice? And there's yeah. one other, but we'll get to it later because I know Phil is just champing at the bit here. He really, really wants to evolve tonight. We better let him. Yes. We must we must evolve with Front Mission Evolve. By the way, Front Mission 5. If you will go and just look that up on YouTube, um, Classic Game Room is one of my favorite uh, channels to subscribe to. This dude just uh, and his team uh, play through and do they, they call them reviews, but really they play like the first few hours of a game and just give some really silly thoughts on it. They're, they'll, and they're very positive about the games. Occasionally they'll come down hard on one that's really bad. But they he did he yeah. loves heaven, heaven forbid you be a hyper scan game. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, he is so funny. He is hilarious. Anyways, he loves Front Mission. So if you look up in his channel and you search in his channel for Front Mission, he did a really nice overview of Front Mission um, uh, three and a four but anyways he did a let's play dealie of five so you can kind of see that game in action and he'll tell you you know how easy it is to play without um you know without it there's also uh not that we would ever <coughs> recommend <coughs> emulation <laughs> but there is an english translation uh patch out there i believe a fan made yeah patch. especially especially getting a ps2 emulation i don't know how easy that is now but I got pain in the butt for a while. I may or may not know individuals who have or have not done that with very little problem on their PCs. Not that I would ever suggest doing that. Cause... And is that is that in recent years or closer to when the game came out? Oh, this would. I mean, the last I heard about this was about two to three years ago. So, okay. yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, emulations kind of come. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I personally don't do it. I would, I I yeah, ninety percent of the games I can just go and collect them slowly, and I play them on the the console, and you have less problems that way. My, I've had some bad uh, challenges with uh, em, later emulations, um, PlayStation, uh, Dreamcast, whatever. Yeah, no. But if you want to, uh, that is another not so legal option. Anyway, PlayStation to of PlayStation. We need to evolve past this conversation. We really do. Uh, and and are, got... are you saying we need to go into a more recent generation? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we need to bring this up a level. So we need ready to talk about Front Mission Evolved, developed by Double Helix Games, published by Square Enix, released in North America on September 28th, 2010. This is a single-player online multiplayer vehicle simulation game third-person shooter. Hey, there's no RPG in there. No, it's not an RPG. What's up with that? Is there at least an experience bar or something? Not that I remember. Uh, Maybe, but I try to block my memories of this game pretty badly. Like, Nathan, why did I ever buy this game? Nathan, it's very simple. You bought it because it was Front Mission, because it was the first Front Mission we'd seen on a console in this hemisphere for years. And probably because you were hoping you were hoping I'll tell you why I against bought it. hope that it would send a signal to Square Enix I want more real front mission. Was that what you were thinking? No, no I was kind of thinking that I've heard this game is awful and I'm curious how bad it is. This is the oh. last game I ever bought just to see how bad it was because you look, found there's, out? Some things which, there's some things which are so bad that they're actually kind of fun to go through. This was not that. It was worse. This was so bad I, it, it's just miserable. Uh, I, All right. All I don't right. even know where to Nathan. start. Consider this a, a form of therapy. You are purging these unhappy memories 
by sharing them with others. We're here you for you, you, man. We're here. Here's my shoulder, man. Here's Thank my shoulder. Just, just let it Thank go, you. man. Let it go. Oh, man. Uh, this game. Why did I ever play this game? <laughs> this is one of the worst games I've ever played. Hands down. Remember, remember, it's not you. It's not your fault, man. It's the game. Okay, it's the no. You don't you did, care. You did nothing. Nothing wrong. wrong. You did nothing wrong here. Okay, man. Okay. So, so, so tell us, what did Front Mission Evolve do to you? Okay, Front Mission Evolved is well. It's story wise. It takes place far after the other Front Mission games, chronologically the last one, in which you know they're technology is so advanced that monsters are now like three times as big as they used to be for some reason. They're huge now relatively. It, it, it's, they a new, still... it's a new me. It's the reverse of the that paradigm for computer software. You know, the computer chips, how they keep shrinking and double in capacity. Obviously, with monsters, it works the other way. They double in capacity by getting bigger. <laughs> yeah, they're, you know, pretty big now and now you control them with action game controls. Anyway, story-wise, honestly, I don't remember. The story was terrible. It just was there. And, like, one of the last scenes I saw before I just gave up playing this game because it's so bad was basically the hero rushes out, does something stupid, he gets, his mech gets shot. Like, he has this image of, like, someone else clutching his mech going, no! Next scene later, he's fine. He's okay. They don't even talk about whatever injury he might have suffered or anything. It... It's the most hammed up, nonsensical story that I... Look, its story is just bad. It's really bad. Let's see here. Now, I'm looking... Square Enix's role in Front Mission evolved, involved story elements, but in a rather surprising move, this was handed over to Motomo Toriyama of Final Fantasy Thirteen fame. Oh, God. I can blame him for this? One more crime on Toriyama's list of bad written games. No one from PDD6, you know, the developer of other front missions, other than Shinji Hashimoto, the producer, was involved in its development. <laughs> that that sounds like it explains a few things. It, it really does. Cause, okay, just storyline-wise, this is nonsensical and just hammed up bad. Um, I mean, I think there's early on scenes when they just start blowing up entire cities for no good reason. And, uh, They're taking lessons from Michael Bay. Yeah, kind of like it's a Michael Bay adaptation of a front mission story, and like not in a good way at all. <laughs> not in a good way. <laughs> Assuming there is a good way, and I don't know yeah, what that I mean, is because I haven't seen it. There's not many good ways you can imagine of a Michael Bay version of Front Mission, but this is certainly not it. If it's ever going to exist, you know, everything I've played of Front Mission, no matter the word. No matter how much you can bad you can say about it, you can't really say, "Boy, that was really superficial and didn't make me think at all." <laughs> I have never been able to say that about a front mission game. Yeah, it's, well, you can say it about this one. Oh, and, goody. <laughs> okay, and gameplay wise, it's really generic and bad. Like, there's not much good to say about it. I mean, it's buggy. It's got all kinds of graphical glitches that occur all the time. It it just doesn't handle well. It, like, I, I can't even snipe anything to the sniper mix because, you know, you try to aim something and then, I don't know, graphical glitches occur or hit detection gets messed up and thus it doesn't work right. Um, Let me see here. Double Helix mentioned in interviews that many features were cut out of the game. These include online co-op play for the story campaign, the ability to freely board and disembark from Vonzers, more environmental inter interactivity, and a more involved multiplayer mode. 
Furthermore, a significant portion of the story was removed for the final product. <laughs> yeah, it sounds about right. And they're omitting stuff like, I don't think mech customization is really even in the game. Like, you can p- choose between different mechs, but there's... You can't do anything with them? You, you can't really, like, disassemble them based off their parts or rebuild them and create and such like that, as far as I can remember. And, you know, you've got the different fighting styles, but none of them are terribly well done or fun. Uh, look, it's just not a very good 3D action game, and I'm not even talking about the stupid on-foot fighting segments, which, like... It's like, you know, the old Jedi Starfighter kind of on-foot segments. Like, who p- plays a Jedi Starfighter game to have on-foot things with shooting on the guys with guns? It's that kind of thing. Wow. <laughs> That's... Come on, Phil. We've evolved. Doesn't this sound great? Doesn't this evolution sound like a real progress report? Well, you know, well, look on the bright. It's only 10 bucks. Look, don't pay 10 bucks for this. I can buy lunch for 10 bucks, you know. This graphic is pretty nice. Looking at the screenshots, these, these robots look like they got size and weight. They're very colorful. Until the graphic glitches kick in. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 how bad can it really be? Bad. <laughs> you be had bad. to ask, didn't you? You just had to know, didn't you, Phil? Uh, so, alas. I our... am not exaggerating to say this is one of the worst games I have ever played. Front, our front this mission is... is not evolved too well. No, I am sorry to say your beloved franchise has had a very bad entry. Oh, well... And this was five years ago, and we haven't seen any front missions since. And I, think, I wonder I why. <laughs> I don't think there's any mystery here, people. No mystery. Don't need Scooby Doo in the in the gang to figure this one out. <laughs> no, no. But uh, oh well. Go back and play Front Mission in four, uh, and Front well, Mission first. I mean, hell. And okay, let's wrap it up. Let me let me address Front Mission twenty eighty nine, Border of Madness. This won't take too long. This is the other front mission on DS, and you would want to play it on DS because it is... There was a front mission 2089 cell phone game in Japan. Oh, oh, come on, Phil. I know you love playing Japanese cell phone games. Oh, yeah. And Border of Madness is a port of the cell phone game, and it looks pretty much like Front Mission 1. It plays pretty much like Front Mission 1. You get a few skills, and you have only five people. So far, I'm going to battle about 16, 17. And you get the arena again which is very helpful actually and the I gotta say equipping stuff with on the Vonsers is actually kind of a pain in this one but that might just be me fiddling through the translation or I'm sorry lack of one since it is in Japanese but it's solid enough and it actually packs a decent challenge in spots there's a mission where you have to beat somebody who has a skill that regenerates his life every turn and that's fun I don't know how that fits into the Front Mission world, but it's a pain in the butt to fight against. And if you liked Front Mission 1, then this is pretty much on the same level, just with a few concepts from the later games incorporated. And, of course, we didn't get it, because Front Mission 1 on DS apparently didn't sell very much, and, I mean, I know it fetches huge prices now, but obviously it didn't set the sales charts afire back in 07, 08, whenever it came out. And getting a hold of this will probably cost you about as much as it would to get a brand new copy of the first one on DS now, so consider it, if nothing else. Uh, there, I've said my piece. Cool. cool. So our bottom line is Front Mission 
Which one's better? Uh, first or four? Uh, Nathan, you have the most experience, I think. Oh, hold on a second. We gotta get Nathan back there. We're dropping him off on the call. Phase experience and some technical difficulties. We'll get him back on here. Okay, go ahead, I'd Nathan. Say, honestly, I'd probably say four, but that's probably a matter of taste, I guess. Okay. And, uh, Mike, did you play through them both? No, I played through one and three. Hmm. And based on what I know now, I would probably give three the slight nod, but. I did have a great time with one, so you, you really can't go wrong with either, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. So... And generally, it's not hard not to say, you know, these games are pretty fun, so it's hard not to recommend them, really. But... Yeah, the only people I wouldn't recommend them for at all are people who, A, don't like tactical RPGs, because they are out there, or B, people who like tactical RPGs, but without having to think a whole lot about the customization aspects, and, you know, I know there are people like that out there. I don't necessarily understand you, but... I know you're there, so tinkering with the Vonzer parts is probably going to seem more tedious than fun to you. I there's there's really no way around it. There are people who think that way, and some of them are probably going to chime in on the forums telling me that, that my inability to understand how they think is absolutely unintelligible. Well, that's true. The way I think is absolutely unintelligible. But there, there we go. Okie dokie. Well, we're going to take a little teeny tiny break and come back and rip this up with a really exciting final lap. So much exciting.
every turn. What's the final lap? And we just talk about everything we feel like as we wrap up the show and share news and your comments and oh my gosh, just, just all kinds of stuff because that is what we do. Yeah, buddy. I mean, last time we talked about Puzzle Quest and 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 we had some comments because we po- well, actually kind of posted up two podcasts at once, but Puzzle Quest was last. We also well, talked we got, about yeah, Crystallis. Got... Did we get some comments on Crystallis? Let's take a we look. We did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whoa, okay. So, uh, or, 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 Strawberry strawberry Eggs, uh, Cassandra Ramos says, I haven't played Crystals, but as always, it's fun to hear about a game I missed. Well, but see, there's no reason to say that, right? Because you can just go and pick it up at your local EB Games, I'm sure, or whatever they're called these days, and just play it, right? Right. Right, there you go. Of course, Crystalis is very easy because it's not on any digital platform, so you will have to get a copy. Oh, oh yeah. Hey, definitely. Uh, Stinker. Stinkers. Mostly I want to comment on Phil's suggestion of a JFPS. While it's actually... I don't even remember what my comment was. It already feels like it was like three years ago. <laughs> um, while... Uh, let's see. Um, while it's actually a third-person shooter, we must have been talking about something. Oh, well. Uh, I do think recently uh, released Splatoon fits most of the criteria. What's more is actually sold really well in Japan. Shooters of any sort are usually not pop, pro, uh, popular there. That's because the Japanese just don't have enough uh, appreciation Machismo? For, for, for brains and blood being blown out of people. Well, you know, the, the, the Gears of War, Call of Duty, Medal of Honor, all that crowd... It has a certain following because it delivers exactly what certain people want, which is a clean, efficient way of shooting things in the head a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm clearly cutting a lot of nuance out of the games, but you can shoot lots of things in the head. And there are just times when I have to say, it's just fun to shoot things in the head every now and again. Mm-hmm. I did that in Borderlands, and I had a lot of fun. God darn it, shooting things in the head can be really fun. Uh, in Ombris, uh, likes the idea about, uh, month of RPGs, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. What about, uh, Puzzle Quest? Do we have any comments about that one, that podcast? We do. Let's see here. What are they? Hmm. Our silly forums. They don't, the links aren't on the same page, so I have to scroll around. Yeah. <laughs> I just used the RPG Backtrack page found conveniently on the left side at rpgamer.com. Very easy to find. I don't have enough tabs open. Okay. (laughs) Well, Budai praised having Anna on that, and she blushed. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of this is just uh, praise for Anna, which, you know, that's fair. Anna's a a great guest to have on. We love having Anna on, but but we love having Nathan Sloman on. So that is awesome. Well, I well, appreciate it from the attempt to name correctly, but that's okay. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> oh, Nathan, you you know how much of a struggle it is to even get Phil to be coherent at this point of the night. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like, I'm just glad he's not you know halfway hungover already. Today's episode <laughs> of the RPG Backtrack, by the way, is brought to you by Devastator. Devastator, <laughs> Utah's finest IPA. Just saying. <laughs> if you're gonna, it says it right here on the can. If you're gonna sin, go all the way, because well, it's I like eight percent alcohol beer. I guess being drunk and turned off of the fun mood of front mission kind of didn't last long. So. <laughs> he evolved. We evolved. We evolved. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Victor talks about Puzzle Quest Galactrix, finding it painfully repetitive. 
there was apparently a, a Hack Leap Gates minigame that needed to be done over and over and over, and that, oh, the, the Leap Gates would respawn, forcing you to hack them again, even. Oh, that sounds delightful. But the game apparently had a means to avoid combat that he unlocked fairly early, and that might explain, yeah, why he liked it a little more than others did. Puzzle Chronicles, apparently the winning side's play area sh- grows and the losing play area shrinks, so... Yeah, that could be a severe problem in a puzzle game if your field of operation is shrinking. Let's see... Gyromancer? How did we get into Gyromancer? I don't remember. And apparently he wants a recommendation on Puzzle Quests 2 class. Well, uh, I used, I think, Thief, and uh, um, uh, I don't remember Thief having any abilities that made the game significantly more easy... But then again, with Puzzle Quest 2, there's nothing that really makes it easier because you will be spending a long time with it. You you tried Puzzle Quest 2 a little, right, Phil? I'm trying to remember here. Yeah, but I didn't really fight around with the different uh, classes. I mean, my understanding is that uh, that none of the classes really, you know, make the game into a quote-unquote uh, easy mode. I never really felt like there was a huge challenge in the game to begin with. It's just, as we mentioned in that podcast, it's just that it gets uh, repetitive and you're kind of facing the same, uh, you know, kind of the same monsters, the same kind of fights over and over again, but they just get more and more inflated with their hit points. So battles just seem to drag on uh, longer and longer. But it's not that it's not that you go through that and you die a lot. And man, I wish I picked a different class or man, I wish I equipped better armor. Um, or something like that. Um, I was taking some steps, of course, to gear up and stuff as those opportunities presented themselves. Because you get things like armor in the game, which can reduce your damage. Uh, The shield, especially, I believe, uh, can half the damage. Uh, And that all sounds really great until you realize that the enemy has that too, and it's just slowing down the game (laughs) even more because everyone's taking half damage instead of full damage, and you just wish the bloody thing would end. Um, yeah, my recommendation, Victor, is if you feel compelled to t- try Puzzle Quest 2 just because it is Puzzle Quest and you're really into it, pick whatever class sounds right because yeah. none of them have a, a strong advantage. Yeah, go for it whatever theme most appeals to you and take our advice and, and don't do marathon sessions. Just don't, don't marathon that one. <laughs> and if you, if you do, then by all means, keep us surprised of how that yeah. goes. We would love to hear more. Um Hopefully you don't end up in a hospital. Uh, so, uh, yes, we love your comments, and feel free to leave your comments at forums.rpgamer.com. Of course, all the backtracks, we're now up to 150 of them. You can find them at rpgamer.com. On the left-hand side, there's a link to the podcast. You can also find it on iTunes and uh, leave your comments on there as well. Hey, that's not a bad idea. In fact, I'll just just mosey on over there since I happen to have my iPad really close and just see if we've gotten any new comments lately because that's always a fun exercise, right? If Mike's like, yeah, we love reading comments. And we only actually read your comments on the show, by the way, if it's five stars. Just putting that out there. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, We are easily amused. While I am doing that, uh, Mike, do you know what our next show is? I do. I think Nathan might know what it is, too. Because it seems to be one which he can contribute to. I believe I will be, however, it seems to be skipping my brain at the moment. I'm sorry. I was just checking this earlier today, but... Do you have a soul, man? Do you have (laughs) a soul? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. But is your soul a light one or a dark one? 
At the moment, very dark. Okay. Then that's that will be very appropriate next time. Yes. Although, yes, although we, may, we may need more than one person, or else we won't have a plural of that. Yeah, that would be a problem. But I think I think that can be arranged. We may have more than one dark soul, which would ha- mean we have dark souls. Yes, and if all fails, I guess we can borrow Phil's. Phil, will you lend me your soul? I will be bringing, you know, I, I have some experience with that game, but not a whole lot, so I'm going to be bringing my own version of Dark Spirits. I, I mean soul. Soul, Dark, yes, not spirits. That, that, would, that would imply like souls, <laughs> souls. Right, right. So cool. Check it out next show. No, there's no new, new, new. Leave your comments on iTunes, guys. We'd love to hear from you. Okay. Uh, so let's do a little round table action and see what's going on in the world of Mr. Nathan. Well, what's new okay. with you? Between, you know, having to talk about Dark Souls soon and, <laughs> well, all the talk about customizable mech action and even a third person shooter with customizable mechs. I need to talk about one of my favorite game series, and that is Armored Core. Oh, it's, yeah! Armored Core is awesome! You know, everyone loves Front Mission for Demon Souls and Dark Souls, but this is the Soul Series kind of futuristic mechanical cousin, and I love it so much. It's a, you know, I need, on a Front Mission episode, I need to give a shout out to it because you know, I, I've only really play, heavily played three games in the series. That's Front Mission 4 Answer, Front Mission 5, and Front Mission Verdict Today. But they're really fun. I just I, I want to encourage people to go out and try these games because you know as much as Front Mission gets you know it's cool to customize your body and your legs and your arms and go out to your customized mech. It's you know the amount of customization you have in Armored Core blows that away entirely. Like, yeah, yeah, and you know and and, and 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 you know Front Mission and it was kind of the same with Mech Warrior. They kind of make their mechs feel like they're really huge and clunky and slow. But not in our record. That's it's more like uh, one of those Japanese anime fly yeah. by the seat of your pants deals. Yeah. So core for answer, like you just go, you can just fly up into the sky and dodge your way through giant missile swarms and fire your own giant missile swarms, and it's pretty darn impressive what you can do with that game. I just, it's really fun. It's like you can customize the arms, the legs, the body, the head, the fire control system. In a four answer, you can control like the individual side, back, and Side boosters, the back booster, or I think even another booster. Yeah. Uh, or you can, or the, or the your power generator, your, or, or your overboost system. I mean. Yeah. If you've ever I, wanted to feel like you were a character in Neon Genesis Evangelion, whatever, or or Mobile Suit Gundam, that's the kind of mix we're talking about. I mean. Yeah, it's like they're. I mean, it's pretty damn crazy what you can do. It's like, you know, some of them are slow and clunky, like a giant slow tank. I can barely do anything because I've this gigantic grenade launcher. Or you can be a really lightweight, fast mech, which can just soar through the air indefinitely and be dodging missiles at high speed and pinking away at things with your little machine gun. And I just, like, this is a game where turn radius is a stat you manipulate. Your, your turn speed's a stat you manipulate. Like, every little thing of, like, your weight affects how you move. And it's so deeply physics-based and awesome and like, it's got some great music too and some good exciting battles and like yeah. the story could be told a bit better but you know you're not really I, playing for the story I mean you're taking on a whole base I'm, like, I remember this one mission where I'm just flying in off the water and I'm taking on a base that's on a tiny I, I mean it just covers the entire island and that's what you do. I mean it's you against the world but hell you're, you're driving this yeah, really like, awesome mech 
like the battle, like four answers battle against the spirit of Mother Will. Like it's a pretty early fight, your first real boss fight in the game. It's like you have to fly in at high speed while shooting the super accurate gigantic cannon at you, and then disengage, break off from your booster rockets to blow against this giant walking fortress covered in like a hundred missile launchers, all firing at you at once. And it's just the most exciting thing. And that's like the first real boss of the game. It goes up from there. I, you know, I just love the series. I need to make a shout out to it based off of the subject of today's podcast. That's all enough for me. Ah, oh, it's awesome. That's that's that is just yeah, Armored Core. Gosh, I adore that. Ah, good times. You know, I also gonna say like Armored Core Verdict is hardcore mode in which you've got one life to go through every mission in the game. That's also an interesting challenge. Like, highly recommended for people who like mecha battles and a high challenge. Ooh, that's 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 challenging. So, how about you, Mike? What you doing? Oh, let's see here. Well, I had hoped to have Evil Land 2. A slight case of space-time continuum disorder finished in order to have a review out when the embargo ended today, but it's considerably longer than the first Evil Land, so that didn't quite work. But I'm close. And, um, wow, you want variety? This game's got it. You you get not only the 8-bit, the 16-bit, and the 32-bit styles of action RPG, you get also a horizontal shoot-em-up. A vertical shoot 'em up, a beat 'em up, a fighting game, a tactical game, a puzzle quest knockoff. Um, let's see, I know I'm forgetting something because each one of these there, there's a segment that looks like Chrono Trigger with an actual party. Um, yeah, there's there's an immense amount of variety in this thing. Not all of it is as well done as its inspirations, but I gotta give it credit. I have to give credit for constantly throwing new things at me, even near the end. Um, so, yesterday I put up a, a long-delayed Deus Ex Human Revolution review, which nobody has apparently seen fit to comment upon. Well, that's fine. And a Front Mission 3 review. I, I have no idea where that came from. It's completely unrelated to anything we talked about tonight. Yeah, can you, can you try to stay focused on, you know, the topics, please? Thank I'll, you. I'll, I'll do my best. Appreciate that. Uh... Not long after we finished the last Backtrack recording, I put up a review for Evil End 1, or maybe that was while we were doing it. I don't remember right now. Anyway, I, I got that up. You know, I finished that in three hours, so I figured I could have Evil End 2 done quickly. No! They had to stuff it full of content and try to, instead of make it a tech demo, it has to be an actual story of, gosh, goofy, goofy guys. Um, what else? Yeah, that's about it for what I have been playing lately. Hmm. Hmm. And I watched some more Rift Tracks recently because, you know, I was in a Rift Tracks mood. And Oh, yeah, we wa- we got, because uh, I hadn't actually bought anything there in a while, and I guess they send you, sent me this email saying, hey, we'll give you $10 in free credit, and if you take the survey, we'll give you, like, an extra 20% off or something. And so I, I did that, and I ended up buying, like, $30 while I was there, which is probably the whole point of them advertising to, to me. And you know, uh, you know what, Phil? Even if they charge me $10 a riff, I'd say it's worth it. Yeah, I got some funny, uh, uh, and Shirley and I watched this educational video about women minding their manners. Very <laughs> important in civilization. Uh, of course, they don't make videos like that anymore, so the Rift Track guys had to pick the one from, I think it was 1953. So, go figure. Stuff is hilarious. I I have bought, I haven't yet watched the riffs on the entire 15-part Batman series. Batman, yeah. I've gotten through, like, six so far. Just so hilarious, those ba- those really old Batmans. That is messed up. Remember the wizard 
the wizard. As a Batman villain. <laughs> oh my gosh. He's like an old guy that's pretending to be crippled or something. I, I, I can't quite figure it, but it, it, and he's, he's got this big, huge cloak on and stuff. I, I guess it's no more silly. What's really hilarious about that is Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne, who we normally are used to him being in this big, huge-ass, expensive mansion, in this show looks like he's living in a three, uh, three-bedroom, two-story house <laughs> with Alfred and is just dead and, of course, uh, Dick. But, I mean, it really looks like a house anybody else in the United States has. It is not a mansion by any stretch of the imagination. And then they drive around like normal cars. I don't even think they have a – did they even have a – they didn't have a Batmobile, did they? They are driving around like – no, I well, think – This it, was what, four or five years after Batman was created? I don't think everything was down yet. No, no. It is so hilarious. You, you guys have to go check it out. They're only like two bucks or a buck a pop or something like that. So. Yeah, and you, the, the riffs are worth the money. Now, they, lately, lately, I've watched a few riffs where at the end they mentioned if you didn't get this from RiffTracks.com, please, please go donate because it is how they make their money by to pay the bills, and they deserve the money. They they are worth your money, guys. Yeah, I remember in the survey they said, "Have you?" You know, they give me why they ask why haven't you not bought you know from us recently? And there's like a whole list, and one of them is, is I got them for free from a friend. <laughs> uh, no, I just I just been busy and catching up on other television. Anywho, uh, what yeah, else, Mike? Let's see. Well, one of those riff tracks was for um, <clears throat> Julie and Jack, which is just notable as the first film from the great director who gave us Birdemic. Oh, jeez. And it shows so much of his wonderful talent. You get, you even get to see him act a little bit on screen, and that's just... <laughs> he mangles the title of a movie. Odyssey, The Space 2001. <laughs> that's what he calls it on screen. Oh, jeez. And he actually has Tippi Hedren in this movie instead of just crediting her for appearing on a TV screen for one second like he does in Birdemic. And then he forces in some dialogue about birds because just in case you don't know what Tippi Hedren was in, he'll make sure you do. Um, very good riff. Help me. Good weekend I had with that. Anyway, yeah, that's about all I've got because until I've finished Evil Land 2, I don't think I can really comment much on it. I mean, I could, but now I'll hold off. Phil, go. Yeah, hold off. Uh shoot. Yes, I I wholeheartedly uh, agree that people should go and check out Rift Tracks. Um, and you know, if you got Netflix, um, I believe some of the old Mystery Science Theater three thousand. So if you want to know what the hell we're talking about, um, if you got Netflix, I believe you can. Unless they pulled them out of the library recently, uh, there's a number of the old episode of Mystery Science Theater three thousand there, and that's. Uh, it's also called MST3K, and that's uh, it's a show where people, where these three dudes, well, it's a guy and two robots, but they're just voice acted <laughs> by two other dudes. So it's three dudes who sit there and riff or joke uh, through a movie. It's like having your old funny uncle sitting there with you watching a B-rate movie that you know is bad, but he's going to make it good because he's so funny. So uh, I love and those guys. Bel- believe me, if you've never seen it, you should. You should. The, it is. These guys know what they're doing. There are no dead patches. Yeah. Except if uh, there's a long patch where only the people on screen are talking because, you know, they're they're kind enough to generally try not to obscure the dialogue so that you can understand what is happening. I, I know that's not such an outlandish concept. So uh, so I continue on my, my, my RPG trek, and if you're keeping up with my blog or my Twitter page, what uh, in the past my RPG trek has just been me going through 
Dragon Quest. Uh, we're just generally focusing on a series. Did a little side uh, spiff on, on Tales a little bit. I'll get back to that at some point. But uh, right now, just trying to focus on getting back through 6. And when we were doing JRPG July, gave uh, me and a couple of the other guys there on Twitter the idea of let's do them. You know, it's been brought up before, but let's do a month of every single month. And so um, that's what some of us are doing. And um, LOL Whoops and I are doing ARPG August. And uh, and for me, that is playing a couple of Blizzard uh, action RPGs. First off with, with Diablo and going back to that and seeing how that game has changed. <clears throat> you know, one of the big knocks against Diablo 3, I should be specific. The, one of the knocks against Diablo 3 when it came out was that it's online, you know, all the time. And uh, that that is a bit of a pain in the rear end when you just want to play a load and for some reason the servers are offline. Um, it shouldn't feel like an MMO, really. It's a, it is a, a pain there. But it does come with some, with some beneficial trade-offs, one being that it's really easy for your friends to jump in and join you and for you to jump in and join them in their games. Another one is that they are constantly updating this. Not quite as much as an MMO, but uh, definitely a lot more than uh, than we saw with the older Diablos or a lot of the other uh, action RPGs like Torchlight's not getting these kind of updates. Love Torchlight to death. Not getting these kind of updates. So uh, they just released a patch today. And I spent, uh, it was definitely a good way to end off uh, ARPG July is to, to dive in and, and, and really get into some of this. And they're doing a much better job of making that in-game feel more solid, of making that loot climb uh, feel, mo- feel mo- more rewarding. There's a new uh, crafting process, uh, a feature called Kinase Cube uh, that allows, uh, that offers a slew of new recipes to fully customize your equipment even further, allowing you to extract legendary powers off of your legendary gear. Like, I've got these shoulder pads, for example, that every time I touch a shrine, a boss uh, will appear. Uh, the idea, and normally shrines just buff you, but having a boss appears means more loot, right? Because they get to kick his ass and take his take his gear. Um, but the problem is, that, you know, I picked up this legendary shoulder pads like a long time ago, and they got crappy stats, so I don't normally wear them all the time. So every time I come to a shrine, I got to throw them on, touch the shrine. When I get through that battle with, with my weakened stats, then I'll put back on my normal ones. So now they're giving you the ability to be able to strip to go through a process to where you can actually extrapolate these things and put them onto other guild gear, which will allow you to build more, uh, uh, more powerful gear sets and upgrade uh, your rear items easier and, and more comprehensively. Because it's going to be easier uh, for a player, you won't be so dependent on the RNG, and you're eventually going to be able to get better and better gear. They've added a few more levels of Torment. Uh, so once you get past Torment 1 through 6, there's now 7 through 10 waiting for you. God bless your heart. I don't think I ever got far into 2 or 3. Um, so that's pretty cool. There's uh, They do seasons now uh, where we didn't have this when Diablo first came out, but every... Uh, every few months, they say they start off a new season where if you start a character in season mode, he starts off at level one with no access to what the other characters have because normally your characters have a lot of resources that they share. Um, and it's like you're starting the game all over again and there's personal progress marks that you can hit benchmarks you can press for uh, to get rewards and achievements and you can get uh, certain legendary gear in that mode uh, way before anybody else can. So uh, things like that. They got new random dungeons with these uh, with these rifts, I haven't spent a lot of time in those yet, uh, but I did uh, spend a couple of hours the other day, and in one of them, I'll have to post a screenshot. But I ended up in a cave full of uh, of unicorns, 
and leprechauns and rainbows and smiley clouds, which was a bit of a contrast compared to most dungeons in Diablo, which are filled with spiders and vermins and goblins and the such. So that was pretty pretty hilarious. Did you have to kill leprechauns? Yes, you had to kill them all. Uh, the flowers, uh, the dancing flowers were, were very interesting. So, yeah. Very, very cool. So all kinds of new new mechanics uh, in there to help the game feel fresh. So if it's been a long time since you've been in it, even if you were in it for the, the expansion that came out like a year or so ago, which, you know, added some of this, if you haven't been on since then, you might want to go and check check some of that out. Uh, I'm having a pretty good time with it. I will say it's blowing my mind. I'm not an ARPG nut by nature, but it is pretty cool. Um, speaking of uh, uh, Blizzard and ARPG, so I'm also playing Heroes of the Storm, which technically I think we would consider an RPG because I reviewed League of Legends for RP Gamer, and they're both MOBAs, right? So I'm presuming yeah. this is in our basket. I imagine one day one of us will write a review. I don't even know if we have a review on Heroes of the Storm. Maybe maybe, uh, maybe one day I'll do it or something. But it's, uh, yeah, I, I reviewed League of Legends for, um, did I talk about this last week, Mike? I believe this is sounding familiar, yeah. Am I repeating myself? Dang it. Hey, I repeat myself. <laughs> Anyways, Heroes of the Storm, go back and listen to the last podcast then, or, or let me know if you want. We did talk a lot about Heroes of the Storm last time. Okay, but still having a ton of fun with that, just having a really great time. So if you want to join us, let, let me know, because it seems like almost every night my friends are pinging me saying, hey, can we do another couple of rounds? And uh, let's pick up our coins for the night. So doing some of that. Seems like Blizzard Blizzard on a roll. They just released also a Hearthstone expansion. Uh, Michael Apps and I, uh, Wheels, you might know him as Ask Wheels. I uh, have been doing some Twitter chat. He's been helping me through some of my frustrations in that game, and it's gotten a lot more fun since I've taken and heeded some of his advice. So, and then we got, uh, if you're a, a Blizzard fan, of course, you've also got a uh, New World of Warcraft expansion has been announced and StarCraft expansion that's around the corner. So they just continue to work on. Uh, so, yeah, that's ARPG, uh, ARPG August. And if you follow my Twitter or follow the hashtag, AR, hashtag ARPG August, and that's all pretty much spelled out, you can keep up on uh, keep up on what we're tweeting about. And we'd love to have you join in. And it's very easy to join. Just go on to Twitter and start posting your screenshots and your thoughts using the hashtag ARPG August. Of course, by the time this gets posted and stuff, it'll probably be September. And what are we we're doing? Just, Strat- strategy September? Strategy, yep, strategy uh, SRPG September. And I'm debating whether I'm going to go ahead and press further into Front Mission 4, because I've gotten you know, I've gotten back into that to, to get ready, prep for this show mostly, um, well, and refresh I think my Nathan memories. Would li- I think Nathan would definitely say you are well advised to continue with that. Yeah, yeah so, it's, you know, it's a good game. Yeah, I might uh, I might continue that. I've also have filled a strong calling from Disgaea D two, as it is the only Disgaea main series game that I have not actually played through. So uh, I love Disgaea. Um, I don't think Nathan is going to say no to that either. Do you like Disgaea, Nathan? Yeah, I like Disgaea. Though I haven't played anything since uh, four, actually. Yeah, I know. So I haven't gotten around to D2, and I understand it's doing a couple things that are different, and now I hear that, you know, they're working on 5 coming out soon. So I, yeah, I feel kind of, out soon. So I feel kind of bad if I'm not caught up. So I'm not sure which one I'll stick to. I'm torn. I'm torn, I tell you. Uh, but yes, if you want to join us, use the hashtag SRPGSeptember. Uh, if you want to find out more, um, the link... Uh, actually, it's really funny. In Google... If I type in just RPG Trek with no spaces, it pulls my blog website right up. But um, 
Uh, I'm sure we'll have a link on the the blog notes or whatever. Just go to jcservant.wordpress.com. The link's right there at the top for RPG Trek, and there's some details on there. But it's it's long story short, it's just we got uh, every month. We've got for October we got older RPGs. November's newer RPG month, and December hashtag DRPG December will be Dungeon Crawler RPGs. Pull out Adrian Odyssey, boys and girls. Actually, <laughs> it's really funny. So news. We got some great, great, oh my gosh, earth-shattering, earth-shattering, mind-blowing, just the most awesome, awesome retro RPG news that I have gotten, and I don't know. This has been a really great year. It's almost hard to say that this is the best news of all, but I've waited for something like this for so long. It, it It's just, whew, wow, I've almost, whew, I got myself winded just getting all excited again. So our good friends at GOGCom have secured the rights to a lot of old D&D computer games. Uh, and I do mean a lot. They have got roughly 70% of the Gold Box games, uh, some of the other Forgotten Realm games, and uh, and more. So to, to quickly go through these, they've separated them into three collections. Uh, Forgotten uh, Realms, the Archives Collection uh, 1, has the Eye of the Beholder trilogy, which... Speaking of DRPG December, ORPG October, this would fit both of those. Old, It's an old dungeon crawler, so it works. Uh, Eye of the Beholder is is a classic first-person perspective dungeon crawler. If you played Legend of Grimrock, this is the game that uh, this is one, well, and games like it are, are the games that uh, that Legend of Grimrock is pulling its inspiration from. Uh, they're, they're very... Um, iconic dungeon crawling games where the monsters are kind of approaching at you in real time. You've got your characters with their, you've got four characters with their portraits on the right side of the screen and each one has two uh, hand slots. Like your fighter might have a shield and a dagger in one hand. Your priest will have a, his priest icon and a shield in the other hand. And by clicking on those icons, you're actually activating the actions in real time, at which point your character has to have like two or three seconds before the icon lights back up and you can use it again. So you're just kind of clicking these things, you know, really quick. You are managing resources. Everything in that dungeon's out to kill you. You know, it's a lot. It's a lot of fun. So the uh, the next one is... Uh, I'm going to skip on to number three. Forgotten Realms, the Archives Collection number three has uh, two games in it, Dungeon Hack and Mesmo Baranzen. And, and I don't even know if I pronounce that correct because I don't pronounce things correctly. So uh, Dungeon Hack is... Uh, it, it basically is the Eye of the Beholder, but with a random dungeon generator. So you could set a whole bunch... If I remember this correctly, because, it's, guys, it has been like two decades or more since I played this. Uh, 1993 was when it was released. Good Lord. I'm getting old. Um when when you get to set all these slayers, there's like two, three. Well, I know, Phil. You're you're seventy five. Seventy five. Yeah. <laughs> there's all kinds of slayers that you can move up and down for how big the dungeons are, how dangerous, how many traps, etc., etc., etc. I think the only thing I, it, it was the only thing that bothered me about Dungeon Hack, if I remember this correctly, is that you only play like one character instead of playing a, a party of characters, which means you're far more vulnerable. Uh, you can kind of set the dungeon. Now I'm looking at the screenshot. It looks like there might be two characters. Uh, nope, looks like one character. You can uh, you can kind of set the dungeon to kind of cater to your character, but you know, dungeon dragon classes are very um, uh, you know they fit a role in a party. Uh, they don't do too well on their own. So th- this makes it a roguelike and a very deadly one uh, at that. But uh, um, 
It, it, it's a piece of history. It's definitely worth checking out. And and I did not play Mesmo Baronson, but it looks like another uh, Eye of the Beholder-like dungeon crawler. I've saved last, but definitely not least, is the collection in the middle. Forgotten Realms, the Archives Collection 2 includes, like, eight games in it. And they're the gold box games, boys and girls. That's right. The vaunted gold box games. If you've been listening to RPG Backtrack since episode 10 when I joined... You know that I bring these games up like every dozen episodes or so because to me they were so foundational to getting me into role-playing games and tactical role-playing games. They were so far ahead of their time. What's that? They're probably probably just foundational for the entire RPG genre as a whole as it exists in modern days. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, but I... I, They're basically the origin of all video game RPGs, so they're pretty up there. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, certainly that's that's Dungeons Dragons, and yeah, absolutely. But I mean, talking about the Gold Box games in, in specific as computer uh, iterations of the of the board game. Now, I mean, D and D inspired. Specifically talking about the video game version, like oh yeah, they're the the big founding things of all video game RPGs. Yeah, it's just you know, I mean, back in the day, I mean, we had our Wizardry, we had our Ultima, and, and they were kind of taking some of that D and D stuff and trying to make it work in their own way. Uh, a lot of them, you know, used uh, a lot of the concepts, armor class, and, and things like that. But it wasn't until I sat down, played a gold box game that you had tactical combat, that that you had to use strategy and tactics in combat. Uh, you had so much gear you had to go through. It was just, it was just a much deeper, deep class system. Uh, very arbitrary in a lot of ways. It didn't age too well, but for its time, it was super, super, super ahead of its time. And and then later on, when I was introduced to console computer games, as you as many people have heard me say, it was hard for me. Like Final Fantasy One, when everybody's mind was being blown by Final Fantasy, I was disappointed because compared to the Gold Box games, which came out you know years before, or at least for me, anyways, I, I think I bought Final Fantasy late. Uh, <laughs> but it just seemed like wow, this the, the the Final Fantasy games don't have anywhere near the level of, of depth. Uh, now, later on, I have an appreciation for them, and I have an appreciation for the strength that JRPGs uh, bring to the table. But back then, you know, I was just kind of looking at things black and white. And so every chance I got, I would go back to the Gold Box D&D games. They've got uh, – so they've got uh, the Pools of Radiance, Curse of the Azurban, Seeker of the Silver Blades, and Pools of Darkness. Those four games is one series. As you get through each game in that series, you can actually save your characters in a specific position on a disc usually and take them into the next game, which for that – again, for that time was mind-blowing. You can actually take your characters from level one – to level, I want to say, 18-ish in Pools of Darkness, which is epic level in the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, heroes are like level 5 and 6, so uh, that are world-renowned, so, you know, 18, you're practically a demigod. Um, druids can't even get above level 12. That's the arch-druid of the entire world. So, they've included Hillsfar, which was a little action RPG that was in between Pools of Radiance and Curse of the Azurbons, the first and second games. And what was really funny is you could export your character from Pools of Radiance and take them through Hillsfar. And it was kind of like uh, an action RPG. Uh, it had a lot of different elements, and it was, it was very quirky. But if you got through that game, you could export your game and save them in Curse for Curse of the Azurbons, the second game in the main series. And he would have a little win behind his back because he'd have extra gold or experience points. I didn't actually do that. I, I played Hills for a couple of times, and I went back to the main series. They've also got Treasure of the Savage Frontier and Gateway to the Savage Frontier, which was two games on its own series that came towards the end. So they're graphically more impressive. 
they don't have the series that came out in between the Dragonlance series, the trilogy of games, which were my, actually my favorite of each of these series. If you're, you know, between the three series, but these two series are still a lot of fun. Um, just understand. Go ahead. Wouldn't be surprised if Dragonlance is kind of, you know, caught up with licensing. Yeah, different yeah, world. Isn't that a name McCaffrey series? Yeah. No, it's maybe. No. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, but no, I agree with you. It's probably a rights issue because all of these are Forgotten Realms games, which are one world, one licensing deal. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Last but not least, they've got Forgotten Realms Unlimited Adventures which was kind of the original Neverwinter Nights. So we had played Goldbox games for years and really enjoyed all these tactical adventures. And And there's a lot of story in these things too. And they're, they feel more, the stories themselves are darker stories than you'd find in a, in a typical uh, JRPG or whatnot. But anyways, Forgotten Realms Unlimited Adventures allowed you to create your own Goldbox adventures. You would then save them on a disc or copy them to a disc and give them to your friend. And he could play the adventure you created. It was the original. I mean, you, people have been doing this now with the new Neverwinter Nights. Well, I say new because, you know, it came out 12 years ago. But uh, the Neverwinter Nights by Atari, I think you can do the same thing with Neverwinter Nights too. Uh, there's a couple of games we can kind of create your own adventures nowadays and share them with people. But this was the original game to do it. And because games weren't as complicated back then, it was easier, I think, to create. Like anybody almost who who just had the desire to and put in a few hours studying uh, you know how some of that scripting and stuff work could get in there and make their own adventure and share it with their friends. So we might see a resurgence of. I remember one time uh, when I first got into dial-up and uh, AOL had um, an online. I want to say it was called Neverwinter Nights uh, that you could go in and play. It was like it was Goldbox, but it was Goldbox with other people online. But they also had a website where you could download adventures for unlimited adventures. And you could only download it through AOL with an AOL subscription. So one day I got a couple of those, you know, those free trial discs and I logged in with the trial offer. And uh, as fast as my 28K modem or whatever it was could go, I downloaded as many unlimited adventures as I could. And how long did it take? <laughs> took forever. It took hours. It took hours. I mean, these things weren't even like a megabyte each. I, I don't remember. They weren't that big, though, because, they. I mean, they, the art assets and stuff, I mean, for the most part, you're just using what's included in the game anyway. So they were they should have been small files, but it took forever to download. I mean, I had to leave my computer on <laughs> for nights, nights. And I was like, and, you know, that's when the, the, the trial offers were for only so many hours, too, by the way, right? It wasn't just like a two-week trial. It was like two weeks or 40 hours, whichever you hit first. So, yeah. Mm. Awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. I haven't had a chance to see how the GOG versions uh, run in the new settings. I have successfully run uh, Goldbox games with DOSBox um, before in Windows XP. So, I'm sure that these guys have got it figured out. Looking at the votes, there's already 115 votes, 5 stars. Hopefully, that's because they got the emulation or whatever it is they needed to get down to make this work. So, really, really cool. Check it out. And if you love this stuff with me, I'd love to hear hear from you what you think about these uh, Goldbox games. And, uh, and uh, hopefully, we'll get our Dragonlance games as well. So, that to me is like super, super exciting news. I, the Beholders, and... And dungeon hacks, unlimited adventures, and gold box games. Wow, you can yeah, stick a fork in me now. I'm done. I might need to pick up like that adventures volume two. Sounds fun. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, one last little one last little thing that uh, just just you mentioned uh, you mentioned before about setting up combos. Going back real back to front mission four mm-hmm. and how you can set up combos. And I honestly felt that that was one of the more satisfying aspects of the game. 
Um, because if you were if you were thoughtful about how you set up your links ahead of time and you took advantage of the biofill, it made such a huge difference. Yeah, and, really and, yeah, and it really made it, it really made you feel like you were getting a payoff for planning ahead, mm-hmm. and, and that to me is is probably one of the most satisfying things I love about tactical and strategy RPGs. Yeah. What? Just, oh, go ahead. That's, yeah, it's just, you know, building this, having a strategy and being able to execute it, it's, that's what RPGs are for me. That's my favorite thing about that. Yeah, I think, yeah, absolutely agree with you, man. Um, you know, combat to me, I've, I've said this before, love a good RPG with a great story, but if I had to pick, I'm, I'm going to pick a, a great, uh, satisfying battle system. Um, and what was it... Um, Oh, so, uh, you know, and while I like Disgaea, I think Disgaea for me is a, a, you know, they got the broken mechanics in there anyways. And it feels like it, a lot of times with Disgaea, not to knock it, I love it, but it feels like it rewards grinding a little bit more or abusing the mechanics more than necessarily. Yeah, it's more about, you know, finding clever ways to break things so you can grind quickly. That's how yeah. it works for all yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I actually end up, I'm one of those weird, wacky people that play Disgaea games more for the story. I actually love the JRPG stories, and then the when I do get a plan that pulls off together or something along those lines, um, and I like the anime characters too, that's extra payoff for me. Anyways, but uh, one console um, strategy, I don't know if it officially qualifies as an SRPG, um, but it's in my strategy collection. That really makes me feel the same way that Front Mission Four does, where you got these team tactics and you're planning them together. Is Dynasty Tactics? Have you ever played that one? Oh, sorry, what was that? Have you ever played Dynasty Tactics on the PS2? No. So uh, it, when y'all get a chance, Google up Dynasty Tactics Two. It's a very, it's one of those Koi games, and everyone thinks Koi. It's either going to be Dynasty Warriors, the beat 'em up, or um, the old romancing. Uh, the kingdoms, uh, oh, three, the three kingdoms. kingdoms. Yeah, yeah, those those games, which were which were interesting in their own right. Um, or but, or the the not romancing the three kingdoms, but still historical based. Uh, what was the one where you're fighting the entire Pacific War again? Uh, there's a few of them. Whacked yeah. like there's Kessen. Ambition. Yeah, Nagaraga's ambition. There's yeah, Kess. and there's one set around the American Revolution and. Back then, they were all known for having an insane amount of of details to go through, and not necessarily being all that much fun because it it feels more like you're playing a board game without any other people. So, it's really so sometimes, yeah. So those yes, guys, they they, they do some interesting spinoffs sometimes, and one of them was Dynasty uh, Tactics and the successor Dynasty Tactics Two. Um, I'm presuming there's a Dynasty Tactics 1. Uh, anyways, uh, Dynasty Tactics 2, just or maybe it's 1. I don't remember. Whichever one came out of America. It, it was just it's just a ton, a ton of fun because you got these you got these uh, soldiers that you're setting up on a tactical battlefield. It looks very much like any SRPG. Um, instead of hit points, they got number of troops, and they've also got morale. But each one of them has a skill or two or three. I can't remember how many that uh, that can you know that can knock an enemy back or do extra damage or whatever. What was really cool was if your skill moved an enemy and the destination where that enemy ended up at was in the position where another one of your character's skill would normally activate in. You could set up a combo, and if you put enough thought into this ahead of time. You could set up a like, the, the enemy start looking like a pinball. He would get hit <laughs> from one guy, get knocked to another guy, who knocked him to another guy. Where three guys would dogpile his ass, and the enemy would get destroyed in one very carefully pre-planned strike. And uh, it was awesome. 
So um, very much reminds me of the Lynx and Front Mission, uh, Front Mission Four. So you can check that out. And I think I've talked enough. I I'm still excited. There's so much to do. So much we've talked about. So many cool things going on out there. So get out there, guys, and play. Talk with us on Twitter. I'm at JC Servit. He's at Jmu Mason. What are you doing? Are you trying to make me sound like I'm in northern Canada playing with moose all the time? What is this? Yeah. And do you have a Twitter, Nathan? Yes, it exists, but I don't really use it. I've mostly used it to sign up for the Final Fantasy V4 jump yet. I guess that's how they run it, but I don't really check it otherwise. So go and tweet and 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 or post on our forums, however you want to get a hold of us. Write me at jcserver at cyberlightcomics.com. Um... And uh, and check out what we are doing and chit chat with us. Oh, and one little last tiny bit of retro news. I almost forgot this tab here. Uh, Shadow Run Hong Kong recently released. Go check it out. Carrying a lot of good things early on. Of course, the last Shadow Run game was a lot of fun. Had a lot of friends who really really loved that and dug it. It was a really nice game. And uh, uh, fully support that kind of effort because it's a tactical RPG. All right, uh, Mike. Before I find some other bit of news I've missed, better put us to bed. Wait, I'm putting us to bed. You have, you haven't done the spiel. Oh right! Uh, hey, boys and girls, did you know that all 150 episodes of the RPG Backtrack are hosted by RPGamer.com, your source for your RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. As I mentioned before, write your question and comments on our boards and email jcservice@cyberlightcomics.com and help shape our future shows. Don't forget to follow us twitter.com forward slash rpgamer become our biggest fans at facebook.com forward slash rpgamer and as I mentioned before our previous podcast all on there it's on the left hand side but we've also got other podcasts we've got the RPG cast we've got the active topical banter and we've got was it Q&A quest or something yes was it close <laughs> yeah that's pretty much it alright and it's all at rpgamer.com and of course on iTunes okay now there you go Mike so, oh, and by the way, thank you, Mr. Nathan, for being on the show. We appreciate it. Always happy to be here. Just yeah. doing this. All right. Now put us to bed, Mike. Uh, I could suppose I get a get a shotgun and blast people, or I could get a machine gun and just strafe people, or I could get a rifle and put you down from a distance, or I could get a missile and put you down from an even greater distance, or I could get a grenade and just drop it around you and hope that it hits you and not any of my friends, or I could punch you with a fist, or I could use a flamethrower. There's so many ways to put people to bed tonight, and they're all involving giant robots for some reason. I can't imagine why. Good night.